about in a second. So okay. we are live, and we have Anthony in front of me, and he is as good looking as his Instagram pictures. <laughs> and I note you have a coffee cup, just like me, <laughs> or well, or some yeah, kind of water cup. But yeah, water cup. Um, yeah. Anthony, the reason why I was giggling was um, I saw that you're in the Daily Mail, Australian Daily Mail, recently. And yeah. um, oh, it, it had me in a fit of giggles. I'll read it out to you. I'm sure you've seen it. Hold on a sec. It's just so funny. Mail online. Bizarre moment. Controversial doctor who eats more than a kilo of red meat every day warns that salad is dangerous and tells how he hasn't <laughs> eaten a vegetable in five years. And then there's pictures of you, your muscles you know, bulging at your tight t-shirt, <laughs> looking a picture of health. <laughs> Listen, the reason why I'm laughing is um, I, I got mentioned in the Daily Mail online recently. So I, oh, yeah, I'm, nice. also, I'm also controversial. Um, I posted um, yeah. a podcast with Andrew Wakefield. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. So Andrew Wakefield. Um, I think sounds familiar. Yeah, so Andrew Wakefield in 1998 maybe, maybe published a paper in The Lancet questioning the MMR combined vaccine. And it was a huge oh, okay. scandal in, in the next few years and then a GMC investigation and a scandal. And basically, Andrew Wakefield's name is just, he's the boogeyman and he's the quack, the ultimate, mm. the original anti-vaxxer, bad, bad doctor. Mm. And um, so I interviewed him because I thought it'd be interesting. But apparently it was not good form and the fact that I gave a platform to this dangerous anti-vaxxer you know made it into the Daily Mail mm. so I'm controversial so yeah we both have something in well, common that's a bit weird I mean you should you should definitely like listen listen to what people have to say and, and, and get their their thoughts aired out there because the thing is is that you know if, if you don't know what they're saying then people will say well this is what they're saying you don't actually know what they're saying a so it could be something that you know isn't all that bad or isn't uh, all that controversial or it could be something so far out there that people are like glad i heard that don't want anything to do with that guy you know so you know this is like this is like actually uh similar to what happened in in pre-nazi germany they actually barred Hitler and, and other sort of Nazi parties from, from speaking. They, they, they banned their speech. They weren't allowed to do speeches. And all of a sudden mm. people got very interested in what they had to say. And yeah. so they started going to these underground speeches and talks and people actually became more interested as a result of that. So it actually ended up backfiring. So really what you want to do is you want, especially if it's a, if it's something you think is a bad idea, you want to air the bad idea. You want to get it out there so people can see it and you say, okay, this is what they're saying. This is why yeah. I think they're wrong. And you know, and so if you think your ideas are better than than theirs, and you have the evidence to back it up, you know it is a good idea to discuss it and to get that out in the air. So that's unfortunate that they they slammed you uh, as he's a person. Um, the way, the way I looked at yet, it, so. it was it was free press. It's like great, <laughs> advertise yeah. my podcast, please. I'll take it. It's all right. It's all good. Yeah. Um. So look, yeah, I hundred no percent agree. Press. I think, um, you know, you should definitely set science needs as a fuel debate and conversations. And this idea that you're only allowed one opinion and you're not allowed to question is fundamentally anti-science. Mm. Um, I'm really interested yeah, to see, hear what you have to say, because you are controversial in the sense not, you know, I don't think you're controversial. Mm. Like, you're a dangerous quack or anything. 
You're controversial because you're going <laughs> against what most people are taught in med school, most doctors, and what most people mm. are being fed by the public health, which is, you know, have low fat, have, you know, don't eat red meat, too much of it, it'll cause heart, heart attacks. Um, and, you know, vegetables are wonderful for you and they're the best thing since, you know, whenever, whatever. So veggies, low Slice fat, bread. low red meat. Okay, that's what we've been fed in med school. Mm-hmm. That's what we're taught in, in the wider community and public health. And you're going against that. And, you know, I really want to hear why why that is the case. But before we get into that, you're also known as a carnivore diet. And I'm really confused because... <laughs> the definition of what a carnivore diet is so varied. If you look at Paul Saladino, he's got upside down pineapples, he's eating fruit, you know, and, but he's, he was promoting carnivore and I'm like, what, what is carnivore? So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? What is a carnivore diet and why you're so controversial? Yeah, sure. So what I think a carnivore diet is, is just what any carnivore in the wild would eat is just, is just meat, you know, right? So it, the evidence shows that humans are apex predators, top of the food chain, and have been for hundreds of thousands, actually millions of years. And so, at least throughout mm. the entire, you know, you know the entire uh, past of, of Homo sapiens, anyway, so Homo sapiens sapiens, that's who we are. And we are apex predators, top of the food chain, and so we're our ancestors. Apex predators don't graze. Apex predators, by definition, are carnivores. They eat other animals. Now, maybe they eat other other things opportunistically if they have to, but generally they don't. You know, maybe bears will eat some berries or some honey if they can get their hands on it. Lions don't really. I've never seen a nature video of a lion getting into a, a bee's nest or something like that. They just you know they eat meat. You know, I'm, I'm sure you know sharks aren't looking for you know some kelp for roughage. You know, so that they can you know have a bowel motion and things like that. You know, they're just eating they're just eating other animals. And so that's what I think of as, as a carnivore. I think that as a carnivore, it's best for us to just eat meat. That's what we're designed to eat biologically. And the reason we don't want to eat outside of that is because while meat is good for us, it gives us all the different proteins, fats, vitamins, minerals, and things like that that are essential for our life and existence. Mm. They don't come with things that are harmful to us, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, against what, uh, you know, the WHO might, might say, but even the WHO says that processed meat is, uh, can be classified as, as causing cancer. Um, but unprocessed meat, you know, maybe causes cancer, but we don't actually have any proof of that. And in fact, that's been thoroughly excoriated. People are saying that was extremely biased. The, you know, a lot of the people on that panel that voted that way and included certain studies were vegans, vegetarians, and Seventh-day Adventists who were religiously anti-meat in the 1800s. They had a vision from God that said, uh, meat is bad because it causes you to feel lustful. It makes you you horny and you want to have sex. And obviously lust what's is wrong a sin, with that? therefore meat is a sin. Dude, what's wrong well, that's with that? it. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, when you're in a, like a Puritan movement and a temperance movement yeah. and things like that, there's a lot wrong with that. And so, yeah. you know, they thought that this was this was a sin. And so they actually wanted, this was from the early 1800s, people were arguing as part of the temperance movement, you should eat plants because they suppress lustful feelings. Basically, they they botch your hormones, make you unhealthy, and make your body say, you're not ready to procreate. Mm. You, know, you, need to, you need to just, you need to work on you at the moment. You mm. can't pour from an empty cup. You get mm. better, get better resources, and mm. uh, then we'll talk. And so those sorts of 
you know, feelings went away, but that's what Kellogg's cornflakes came from. Dr. Kellogg's was a Seventh Day Adventist. He was a firm believer right. in this, and uh, that's where the processed food industry came from. Was out of the Seventh Day Adventist in Australia. The largest uh, processed food manufacturer close to is Sanitarium Foods, and you know they make all the cereals and and things like that. Mm. Big multinational. They get. Uh, they get uh, tax exemption status because they're they're part of the church, and their money goes towards pushing that agenda, which is a plant based diet. They also founded nutritional sciences at the university level, so they mm. they teach the curriculum. They found they wrote the first textbooks on nutrition at the university level, and they uh, they they still write the curriculum. They still have very highly placed Seventh Day Adventist members at Harvard, at you know else other places of of uh, learning, mm. and in the WHO, right? And so they're they're trying to push this meat is bad thing, but that's from a, a religious vantage, right? And so they're, right. they're trying to manufacture ways to say that it's bad and you know processed meat. They say, oh well, this 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 causes cancer, right? Um, but the the studies that they included were very flawed, very poor evidence and they excluded a lot of higher level evidence that showed absolutely no relationship at all. Mm. And people on that panel who disagreed with that said that subsequently said that they, it was very difficult for them to be on that panel because they saw very high, very good quality studies, well, well-designed studies that were thrown out and ignored because they went against the narrative and then other really poor studies included because they had a very slight, you know, um, you know, favor in their, you know, you know, conclusion in their favor that, that meat was somehow bad for us. But either way, you're saying processed meat causes, causes cancer or something like that. Okay. What is processed meat? Are you processing it by adding more meat to it? No, you're, you're, you're adding plants, you're adding sugar, you're adding artificial sweeteners, right? Mm. So if unprocessed meat is not carcinogenic, you can't find anything as carcinogenic in unprocessed normal meat, then the meat is okay. And then processed meat Obviously, it's something you've added to it. It's the plants, which have known carcinogens, according to the WHO, and have uh, artificial sweeteners and sugars and all these sorts of things that are deleterious to our health in, in uh, you know, relatively low doses. Mm. And so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's uh, why it's important for us to eat meat is because it doesn't actually have carcinogens. It doesn't actually have things that are harmful in it. You know, going back to the WHO, who have a lot of... People that are uh, have vested interests in a plant-based diet, uh, be they vegan or Seventh-day Adventist and so on, they actually have a webpage dedicated to the natural toxins in plants or, or mm. really just in, in food in general. But they're all plants. Plants are algae. And so sometimes you know, the algae in the oceans get into the marine life and then we eat the marine life and get sick from that. But it's really the algae that's the problem. It's not the marine life. And the rest of them are plants or fungus, like mushrooms, all of them. There isn't a single one in there that said this chemical exists in meat and you need to be careful about it. They're not a single one. The entire web page is, is dedicated to all the different plant toxins and, and fungus and algae toxins, right? Nothing in meat. So there's nothing in meat that's actually bad for us. We're actually what we're designed to eat right? We've been mm. eating it for nearly exclusively in some areas, absolutely exclusively, such as like the Inuit for a large majority of time during the ice ages, what else was there to eat except meat? Yeah. Right? People will say, well, we were moving towards the ice, the, to, towards the equator when the ice sheets were coming down. That's actually not true. That's just a, that's just someone just made that up. But 
the fossil record is very clear that as ice sheets were coming down, people were moving up into the ice, were attacking into the ice. That's where presumably the megafauna was, where their prey was, like the mammoths and so on. Mm. And so there was no plants to eat there, by and large. And so the vast majority of time, especially in the Arctic Circle during an ice age, what plants are there to eat? What fruit is there to eat? What honey is there to eat? There's really nothing. And so you just had to eat meat. So we are well, well adapted to eating meat because we've been doing it for millions of years, right? So that means that we've had time to adapt. Now we've had agriculture for about 8,000 years. That is not nearly enough time to build up defenses against all these different toxins that exist in plants. And that's something that's fundamental that people need to understand. Anyone who has studied botany understands this or horticulture understands this or even has done a lot of gardening understands this that plants used chemical defenses to stop animals and insects from eating them. Mm. And that is their main deterrent. You know, every living thing has a defense, right? Mm. Or else they'll just get destroyed and go extinct, right? Mm. Animals can run away or fight back, but plants can't. They're stationary, so they have to use other means and methods. One of those is by making poisons. They make around a million different chemicals. Most of those uh, are to, to, uh, to damage and deter animals and insects from eating them. So, you know, this is just something that we need to recognize that. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it was more adapted, than a million. I don't know. It's that much. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's around a million. Yeah. And that, that was coming from, uh, um, uh, professor at, uh, professor botany and, and head of the botanical gardens at Cambridge university, uh, said that Dr. John Parker, I think he's since retired, but he mm. actually has a, he has a, a YouTube video, uh, on the Cambridge university YouTube ch- channel, saying, don't eat the plants. That's what it's called. Don't eat the plants. And he just goes into this. He's saying, hey, plants are not the defenseless organisms that you think they are. They're, in fact, the dominant life form on Earth. 99% of life on Earth are plants. Yeah. They're under constant assault by animals. So they can't be defenseless, right? And so he goes through a lot of those different defenses. And he even concludes, this is back in 2011, and he actually concludes at the end, okay, so what do we eat? What are we supposed to eat? Okay, well, you can, you can eat fruit, be a fruitarian. But if you want to, you know, because some, some fruits, now some fruits are, mm-hmm. are edible in the sense that they won't kill us that day. But still the vast mm-hmm. majority of fruit will kill you. And this is why you can't just go out in the woods and eat any random berry on any yeah. random plant, right? You, you know you can't eat random berries. They can be very, very toxic yeah. because it's actually birds that they want to eat those berries because those seeds generally... Uh, won't germinate unless they go through the digestive tract of a bird or a specific bird. And so Mm. they they are adapted with those birds. And so he's saying, okay, well, maybe you can get by eating some fruit, um, you know, the less dangerous fruit. But if you want real food with real nutrition and none of the nasty chemicals and defenses that plants have, and he like wiped off some kiwi fruit from his table and someone put a chicken in front of him, he said, become a carnival. He like, you know, takes a bite of it and everything like that. And that was long before this whole idea of, of the carnivore movement. He was just, he's just a professor of botany. He just knows exactly how toxic plants are. And that, and that's how I came to this as well. I studied botany and biology and cancer biology. And I saw how many carcinogens, dozens, over a hundred carcinogens in, in the vegetables we eat, like Brussels sprouts at 136 known human carcinogens that they knew of 20 years ago when I was taking cancer biology and just understanding that I just said, Nope, not eating plants. (laughs) These things are toxic. And I have, I have no interest in that. Humans are apex predators. We're top of the food chain and you know, apex predators don't graze. So I think that that includes all plants, all sugar, everything like that. So long roundabout way of answering your question. 
question. I'd say just meat, just meat, just water. I've got a lot of questions. So one, I kind of agree with you that we're apex predators, but maybe a few thousand years ago. Have you seen the average human being now? Like, they're not apex predators. I don't see the average guy on the street chasing yeah. a woolly mammoth. I, I see the average guy running away from... Actually, they can't even run. They can't even run. I mean, yeah. most guys my age, yeah. I mean, I'm coming up to 48. They've got a beach ball belly, you know, and I think that's really sad. I don't think mm-hmm. there should be such a thing as a dad bod. It makes me so miserable and upset looking around me, seeing most people now accept being obese as normal. And they're grazing all day. They're eating garbage and it's carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Basically the same kind of like sugars and chemicals and rapeseed all packaged up in different ways and formulas to produce something slightly different, mm-hmm. but it's all essentially the same crap. Um, so I agree mm-hmm. that we, we should be apex predators, but we're not now. We're, we're becoming like that Wally cartoon, you know, just dumpy, lumpy stuff. Yeah. But um, when you talk about, yeah, you know, yeah. meat, when you say eat meat, mm-hmm. I mean, are all meats equal? I mean, are we talking about red meat, beef? Are we Like, again, some carnivores mm-hmm. say don't eat pork. It's not good. Not, not chicken. I mean, what do you mean by eat meat? Yeah. Any meat, any animal, any animal tissue, but it does matter what the animal is eating itself. Most people mm. find that red meat is best because there's ruminant animals. So like beef and lamb and goat, venison, things like that. They have a, a very complex rumen that is able to actually detoxify, break down and eliminate a lot of different toxins, even glyphosate. So there's, there's a horrible you know, roundup chemicals yeah. put on, on crops now. So yeah. even grain finished beef, it seems to be able to clear and eliminate and not even absorb glyphosate in the first place. Monogastric, right. such as pigs, chicken, fish, they don't have that ability or not as much of that capability. And so you'll, you'll get some of that in there. So they're eating this soy and corn garbage and they're actually getting, you know, so, so some people yeah. will say, Hey, you know, pork's probably not a good idea. Well, it's really more to do with what the pig is eating because they're giving them all this stuff that has a lot of omega sixes and linoleic acids and they can't process that. They can't use, that is energy. So it actually just stores in their fat. And then, so basically we're eating rapeseed oil by proxy. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily as bad and you're getting a lot of other good things as well, but certainly people that are sensitive, a lot of people with autoimmune issues really have to avoid, you know, pork and chicken, fish, dairy, things like that, eggs. Um, and I think that's largely to do with what they, they are fed as well, but they seem to do much better with, with red meat as well. You know, I, I would say, you know, I, I agree with you. We don't look like apex predators anymore. And I remember as a kid, I remember thinking, I was like, why are we the only squishy animal on earth? You know, like you see animals in the wild. I, was, I, I used to love watching nature videos all the time. They're just these just big rip, powerful beasts. And yeah. I was, I was a kid and I, I wanted to be a big, strong guy. You know, and, and I was looking at everyone and there, was, there wasn't many. And, and but you look on nature videos, everybody's ripped. And, and the answer was, well, they're always running around. They're always moving and exercising and things like that. And that's really what it is. It comes down to exercise. And well, exercise is important, but that doesn't explain animals in the zoo. Right. You know, I, I've never seen a fat giraffe or a fat leopard or a fat you know, cheetah or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're ripped. They look like they're on steroids or something like that. <laughs> and they live in a box you know, the size of this room. So it's a definition of a sedentary lifestyle. So they're not getting any exercise, you know, to any real extent. And, and yet they're, they're very, very lean, strong, muscular, powerful. That's because they're eating what they're supposed to eat. So yeah, if we were were eating mammoths, you know, if we're eating mammoths, if we're eating carnivore, we would absolutely look like apex predators. In fact, 
there was a yeah. there's a sharp line. Um, anthropologists, uh, paleoanthropologists, and archaeologists they can actually tell if a skeleton was before or after ag- agriculture in that society wow. because the, the the quality and size of the bones. So immediately after agriculture, um, brain size went down eleven percent. Height went down on average uh, five inches. Oh, wow. He had shorter femurs, which is a sign of malnutrition. He had signs of tuberculosis infiltrating in the spine, right? You had a lot of signs of, of poor wound healing all throughout the body. All these things are, are malnutrition. Smaller mm. jaws, impacted teeth, impacted wisdom teeth, you know, a lot of dental caries, cavities, missing teeth, crooked, all these that. All that has been shown to be nutritional. as from nutritional deficiencies. And so, you know, it's not it's not genetic that we have small jaws, you know, micronathia and, and crooked teeth, that is, that is developmental. And so if you're chewing on the right things, you're breathing through your nose instead of your mouth and you're eating what you're supposed to eat, getting vitamin K2, D3, calcium, and, and all the other sort of fat soluble animal based vitamins that you're mm. going to develop much better. And so you see that hard line change and, uh, and you'll see, you know, after that, even Cultures like the Native Americans in the 1800s who were just largely eating buffalo and wild game, they were estimated in recent studies looking at different populations, they were estimated to be the tallest civilization on earth. Wow. In the 1800s. They only ate meat, you know? So a lot of these guys, there was a delegation from around the Great Lakes that went to visit uh, then President Jefferson, second president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. And he was a tall guy. He was about six foot two. So he was one of the taller presidents, certainly at the time. Mm. And he said that these, these guys were just essentially giants. They, they were absolutely huge. And they estimated they were, they were nearly seven feet tall. Oh, wow. And he's just normal guys. Right. So that's, that's developmental. That's not, that's yeah, not, you I'm, know, because we, we've bred out of it. You've you know, just we, said we, don't, so- we don't turn into herbivores. In eight, you've just 8, said, years, you know? Yeah, you've just said so many things, though. But, I mean, I, I give this example. I say, you know, look at lions. You know, what do they look like? Mm-hmm. They look jacked. And I went, do you see them going to the gym mm-hmm. all day? What do lions do most? <laughs> they sleep under a tree and yeah. they fast. And then yeah. once every two, three days, they, they feast on me and look at them, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I totally get what you're saying. And also about animals and human beings and being do- you know doy you know look at any animal mm. in the wild it's beautiful whether it's an antelope gazelle or lion you know they're muscular they're toned they're beautiful animals horses you know i don't know if you've ever been to a nudist beach or anything i accidentally went to one in ibiza i didn't know it's not a pretty sight i mean <laughs> the people that are letting it all no. go i would not be letting it go i would yeah. be covering it up <laughs> it's just Human beings, mm. naked human beings are not attractive. We're just, ugh, it's mm. just not nice. And I, I, I don't think being obese is a healthy state. I think, I'm sorry, I really do think, mm. you know, being fit, toned, lean, muscular is our natural physiological state. I think being fasted is actually mm-hmm. being in our normal physiological state. And, you know, you could argue mm-hmm. we've never been so well fed as a species, but so sick and nutritionally depleted at the yeah. same time. So it's not just, you know, we need to be thinking very carefully, like you said, what we eat. And if you look at the North Americans, you know, I've been to America a few times, you know, all the images I had of Native Americans were these lean, sharp, chiseled, you know, angular noses and jaws Mm. and muscular. 
I was really sad when I went out and they're all obese. They've all got diabetes and it's because they're eating the modern Western lifestyle. Now, you know, alcohol, garbage, mm. carbohydrates, they've deviated so much from their natural diet. Um, so it's yeah. quite sad. And I've had, I saw it that is, with my yeah. parents. My parents were immigrants. They came over, they were eating fatty stuff, ghee, meat, everything. And they bought into the, all the, the Western advertisements and started changing it for the, the seed oils started having breakfast cereals instead of omelets, um, less meat, more carbs. And, you know, my parents got overweight. Our, us as kids, we were overweight. Um, so, yeah, I, I think food and what you eat does make a huge difference. Now, going back to this carnivore yeah. diet, some people mm-hmm. really struggle with it. No one argues that, like, well, very few people would argue that steak is not great, you know, apart from vegans and vegetarians, obviously. But most people who yeah. eat meat would be like, steak's great. You know, of course. But they like their sides. They like a bit of mushroom sauce, a bit of savoy cabbage, and a bit of roast potatoes or something. Doesn't we, Wouldn't just eating nothing but a steak become quite boring? How does it work? Tell me. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you can ask a cow if it gets bored of eating grass <laughs> or a lion of gazelle, you know, or elephant, whatever the hell they eat. And, uh, you know... Uh, in fact, diet, you know, food in, in the wild is very species specific and, and it's quite, quite narrow. Mm. Carnivores eat animals, you know, they're opportunistic. Maybe, you know, you know uh, lions will eat big animals generally because they, they need a lot for themselves and their pride and everything like that. But if they have a little sucker run by them, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll pounce on it maybe. Mm. And so, <clears throat> you know, it's, Flavor, you know, taste has to do with, you know, there, there was a saying back in, you know, hundreds of years ago that said that uh, the best seasoning is hunger. You, know, you get hungry, things start tasting really good. And I, I find that, that that's uh, very true here is that when you are hungry, meat mm. tastes amazing because what you're tasting is, is, the, is the nutrients by and yeah. large. Sugar is sweet. You're noticing that it's safe. It gives you a quick hit of energy and it's a safe hit of energy. And you can survive, but you know, generally that that sort of sweet flavor in in you know honey or or fruit was very narrow window. It was only in, in areas that weren't covered in ice, and they were only for a few weeks while these things were ripe. And you mm-hmm. know that's fine, but you know so that's a bit of an outlier. But when we're talking about a things that taste bad, that that's you recognizing something that's not good for you. So you give kids vegetables, and they're like, "Oh my god." And it's bitter and it's horrible and they don't like the taste. That's because they're very a lot closer to their biology. They haven't been, you know, educated that this horrible flavor is uh, is actually really good for them. I, rem- mm. I remember distinctly hating the flavor of broccoli, and you just could not get me to eat that stuff. And then, you know, you know, as an adult, it was probably the least offensive vegetable. And so I was like, okay, I'll just have some broccoli. It's not that bad, but yeah. I hated it as a kid. And whereas. You, you eat a steak, it tastes good if you're hungry. If you're hungry, it tastes better. And the hungrier you are, you're tasting those nutrients. A steak has every, a fatty steak has everything that you need in the proportion that you need it. And so if you're hungry, it's going to taste good. And I think that's why we eat different things. We just get bored of it. And we have to move on to something else and to something else. And then something else tastes better. And I remember, you know, having, you know, a certain thing, and I would eat it every day. And on the fourth day, I was just like, this doesn't taste very good at all. Mm. You know, this is, I mean, I'm making it differently. I thought I'd make it the same, but it just tastes mm. different. On day one, it tasted really good. On day four, it's like, I'm not really interested in this. Well, I think mm. that's because whatever, you know, nutrients were in that or, you know, different 
plant defense chemicals and things like that, my body basically say, okay, that, that's enough. You need to move on. You need to go somewhere else now. Whereas a steak, you don't have to move on. You're not getting anything that you don't want. You're getting everything that you need. <clears throat> and so if you're hungry, it'll always taste good. So I've never not enjoyed a steak when I was hungry. And so that's how, that's how I go. If a steak doesn't taste good, then you're not hungry by definition. Mm. It's just like, that's just how it is. Now, maybe you want the variety while I'm used to eating these other sorts of things. That's different. But if it actually tastes bad and you're like, mm, no, this doesn't taste good. You're not hungry. You don't yeah. need to eat, you know, yeah. come back to it. You know, the Mongols, like Genghis Khan, the Mongol horde, they would routinely, you know, go five days just ravaging the countryside and, uh, and without eating. And then they'd eat 10 pounds of horse meat and go and do it again. You know, they were, they were basically carnivores. They're eating horse meat, drank horse blood and fermented mare's milk. They're horribly lactose intolerant. So there's no carbs there. They, it was only fermented mare's milk. But, you know, that's, that's something that's, uh, that's, that's pretty typical that you'll see if it's, uh, if you're hungry, it's going to taste good. And so you're never going to get sick of that because, you know, you're, you're always going to be hungry eventually. So if it doesn't taste good and you're sort of sick, oh, I don't want to eat that anymore. You're not hungry. Don't eat. Right? I've got, I've It'll got, taste good later. I've got a few more questions. Sorry. <laughs> I'm interrupting your flow. That's all right. Some people say no, I, no, no, I, was, I was done. Yeah. Some people say I interrupt too much, but I go. I'm not interviewing. I'm having a conversation. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, so when you're, you know, when you're saying carnivore, and I say a lot of this to my patients, you know, try and eat meat and steak and really rich steak. And I'll be honest with you, I've been drifting more and more. I am five years ago. I had an awful diet, type two diabetic, fatty mm. liver, overweight. Um, and I, I took up intermittent fasting. So I fast 20, 21 hours every day. And naturally, I've become more and more carnivorous. You know, I, I have meat every day. I have eggs and meat and I love it. I still am taking mm -hmm. some berries like blackberries and raspberries and blueberries. And, and, you know, occasionally I have some sweet potato or sweet potato fries or whatever. But it's the bulk of what I'm eating is meat. But I do still hold on to a little bits of, you know, other stuff. Um, people say to me, oh, that's mm. a very expensive diet, diet. You know, we can't afford steak. Mm. What would you say to that? You know, not everyone has got a lot of money these days. I'd say most people are really struggling, actually, and won't even tell you. You know, they're mm. driving a, a car, a big yeah. car and loans. They're struggling to feed themselves. Yeah. Um, what would you say to that? Yeah. Well, you certainly don't need to eat steak every day. And obviously that's m the most expensive variety of, of eating meat. And, you know, just like if you're going to eat fish, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, swordfish and caviar, right? So, you know, there's tuna, it's just fine. Sardines are great. And uh, <clears throat> eggs are fine. You know, pork is fine for most people. Chicken is fine for most people. And ground beef, mince, is, is perfectly fine. It's the same animal. It's the same muscles. It's just prepared differently. And it, but it has the exact same nutrients. And so you can, you can live your whole life on mince, you know, or mince and eggs. Very affordable for most people, although they're, they are trying to slam up the prices of meat as they go in order mm. to coerce us and force us into eating the garbage that they want, which, you know, different, different, uh, you know, colonial powers and, and, uh, you know, empires have done historically, you know, people know about, you know, ancient Rome where they have, you know, when people get a bit more rebellious, people talk about, they, they try to appease them and calm them by giving out bread and mm. holding circuses, bread and circuses, <clears throat> bread and circuses to try to distract and mollify, 
an angry crowd. But what they don't yeah. tell you is they also at the same time cut off the meat supply. Oh. So they cut off the meat supply and then gave everybody a bunch of bread and grains and, and, and distracted them with shiny things. So the new Netflix film, the new you know Marvel movie comes out and uh, and then just processed food, processed food, processed food, processed food. Um, and, you know, I, I don't I, I just I don't know, maybe I'm just cynical in my my old age, but. I just don't, I just, I don't think that's a coincidence. And I don't, and, and there have been a number of other examples as well um, of, of powers trying to oppress, you know, I mean, I mean, just look, look at England throughout, you know, serfdom and things like that. Uh, you know, the, the normal peasant folk were not really, were not allowed to, you know, hunt the king's deer and go in the king's yeah. woods. Those were the king's rabbits and the king's pheasants. You couldn't do that. You were generally yeah. eating plant-based gruel and slop and, and people were, you know, suffering as a result of that, but you know, the upper classes got to eat meat. That that was who got to eat meat. You look at Davos, where everyone's oh, everything needs to be plant based, plant based, plant based. What's on their plates? It's all meat, right? All the all the dishes, all the meals that they're eating are meat. So it's it's uh, you know, let them eat cake, and we'll eat steak. That's the idea. And so, no, no, you know, I that, don't think that, that um, now it's steak for me and bugs for thee. <laughs> Well, but that but that's the thing too is people are just like, look, we're not doing that plant based crap. They they tried pushing that. They tried pushing the Impossible Burger. Those just failed miserably. So now they're like, all right, well, look, they're not they're not going to give this up entirely. Okay, maybe maybe we'll go for bugs. Um, but you know, it's it's all it's all nonsense. And I think it's I think it's all about control. I mean, if it wasn't about control, why why do they care so much? You know, why uh, wouldn't why wouldn't they just let yeah. people get on with it um, and just follow the market? You know, people want meat. Produce meat, make some money, you know, but they don't. They're they're losing money trying to force these 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 fake meats, and um, you know, and, and it's a bit insane, especially because you know, like UC Davis showed that the lab grown meat and uh, and the uh, fake meats and things like that have a far higher environmental impact than just raising cattle. And, and raising cattle is actually beneficial for the environment as well. That's something that more and more people in the regenerative agriculture industry are, are showing, improving. Mm you know, with, with, you know, by various means, but you know, the long, long and short of it is, is there are so many things that are affordable and, you know, you know, what's not as affordable, you know, like crazy, uh, hospital bills and medications mm. and, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and different sorts of, um, you know, limitations on your life. You know, what is your life worth? What is your health worth? Yeah. Um, what is not having diabetes worth to you? What is not having Crohn's worth to you? What is not having multiple sclerosis worth to you? What yeah. is you know not de devolving into Alzheimer's worth to you? Uh, all of these things can be prevented by a proper diet, a biologically appropriate, species-specific diet. You know, you look back yeah. even forty years, the obesity <clears throat> rate was one sixth what it is now. It was eight percent. In, in 1980 in America, now it's 42%, right? So that's not genetic, right? We've got like just a couple of generations. It's not how that works. A no. hundred years ago, the obesity rate in America was 1.2%, right? Wow. So you look back at pictures in the 60s or yeah. in the 20s, everyone was slim. Everyone was slender. Everyone was wearing suits, for God's sakes. Much better time, honestly, you know, at least as far as people's you know, you know senses we're much more decadent now and I, th I think we're i think that's that's a problem in and of itself but people were much more healthy and it's much it's actually much cheaper to eat whole foods and eat real foods uh, i mean how much does a starbucks cost right how many times are yeah. people drinking coffee having snacks you're supposed to have three meals and three snacks a day okay fine i eat one steak 
costs as much as two Starbucks, and I don't drink Starbucks, right? And I'm I'm having nice steak, right? So you know I'm I you know buy like ribeyes or New York strips. I wet age them, I dry age them because it's the only thing in my fridge anyway. So my refrigerator is now a you know a, a meat aging. Uh, you know, thing at the you'd see at the busher, and so I, I eat very very high quality meat. You know, and I make it most of it myself and age it myself. But you can do it with, with with ground beef, right? I eat like a kilo of beef a day, fatty beef. If you eat mm. more fat, you you get more nutrients from that, so you can eat less of it, right? So there's a trick there: eat fattier meat, and you won't have to eat as much of it. And so I eat a kilo of of fatty beef, right? If you're if you're talking you know, mince. So like here in Australia, it's like $11 Oz, um, to get a kilo of beef. So that's five pounds. Shocking five pounds a day, right. To get bad. perfect nutrition. Right. So, and, big, and then come off your medications, lower your blood pressure, all these sorts of things. Yeah. You're exactly. a big guy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, six I'm foot five three, foot, three. So yeah. how tall are you? I'm six foot three. Oh, there you go. So yeah, six foot three, like two hundred and forty pounds thereabouts. Well, there you go. So I'm five foot seven. I don't need to eat a <laughs> kilogram of beef. You know, I'll probably eat half of that. But mm. it just goes to show you how affordable it can be. Yeah, a lot of people find that they're actually spending a lot less money on mm. their on their grocery bill, and they're not going for the snacks, they're not going for the coffees, they're not going for the treats, and and they find that there's less junk in their house. There's less spoilage as well. You know, when you're buying produce and fruits, there's so many, so much of this stuff goes bad. Um, you know, my, my girlfriend, um, you know, she's got, uh, some kids and they're just, Oh, we want fruit and we want this. So she'll get, so she get fruit for them and it just rots. It just sits there and rots, but they just want the idea that they, that it's there. And uh, maybe they'll have like one piece, but then they just say, Oh, okay, it's there. I won't ask for it now. And then just, just rots. They don't even eat it. So it's always wasted always wasted. Maybe a couple pieces will get eaten. But you know, even when, when I was trying to eat vegetables and forcing myself to eat vegetables because I hated them, um, I, would, I would try to buy spinach and this and that and the other from you know, Costco, which is also your first mistake because you, know, you just get like 13 ba- you know, bushels of, of spinach in one go. But you know, I, I would end up throwing out half of it every time. I would never mm. be able to use it quick enough. It would always start to go slimy and bad. And, and it would be a lot of waste. There's no waste with this, right? I'm aging this stuff. If it, if it just sits there, it just gets aged even more and tastes better. So there's no, there's no downside to that really, if you know what you're doing and and you don't, you're not letting it go bad. So yeah, I find that for me, it's much cheaper. It's much more affordable. And I feel a lot better too. You know, we're talking about how, you know, animals are supposed to look, they're, they're healthy and they don't work out. I don't, really have time to work out. So I haven't, I haven't worked out regularly in the gym in, in literally over a year. I maybe get to the gym once every two weeks, really more like once a month or less. And, um, and so, but I, I never get in less shape than this. This is just, this is just my baseline and I can get in much better shape and get much more muscular, much more lean and defined and, and heavier, much more heavily muscled. But I never get less than this. I never get, you know, wow. uh, I never get out of shape. I can get in better shape, but I never get out of shape. Mm. And, you know, and, that, and that's purely <clears throat> by diet. You know, that's not through exercise. I love exercise. I just don't always have a time, the time to do it regularly because of my work. And what about, so do you not do ex- a little bit of exercise every day? No. No, oh, I wish wow. I could, you know, normally, you know, because I played, I played competitive rugby and, and, uh, well, and played sports since I was a kid and wrestled and, and, you know, uh, trained in MMA at, at a very 
competitive gym that, that train a lot of you know, world champions and UFC champions and things like that. Mm. And, um, you know, so I trained there sort of every hour of every day that that was open from when I was 14 to 18. And then I sort of switched over into rugby and, and was doing that full time. But, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lifetime working out and playing sports, but now, you know, as a doctor, I'm doing pretty crazy hours. And, you know, sometimes I could maybe doing 80 hours a week or 90 hours a week. And then, you know, the longest I've gone is 135 hours in a week. And obviously that's right into the next week because you can't, you can't have a weekend if you're doing 135 hours. Mm. And so, you know, that's working through the weekend and doing crazy on calls and things like that. And, you know, not sleeping for 36 hours and, and all that fun stuff. So, um, you know, which I wouldn't be able to do if I wasn't on a carnivore diet, I would not be able to survive that. And you know, mm. I work those hours. And then on weekends that I'm not at the hospital, I work in a, in a private clinic doing functional medicine, trying to help people, you know, get better and off medications and change their diet and lifestyle. And, uh, and then doing podcasts and doing my own YouTube channel and interviews and things like that. So basically every waking hour of every day and, yeah. uh, and some non waking hours when I'm working through the night and don't get to sleep, you know, I'm working. And, uh, so it's a lot, it's a lot. And, uh, I, d- I just don't always have the time to make it to the gym. I have an X3 system, you know, the, the, the bands, the, um, and those are great. But even then, you know, I'm, I'm just so slammed with things. I'm like, okay, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then it's just like, I'm basically working until I'm exhausted. I'm like, okay, I have to sleep. I'm just going to mm. you know, do it tomorrow. And it just, it just ends up doing that. So I'm out of the, the habit of it. But normally I'd like to work out, like it, lift weights at least four days a week. Um, and then do runs and sprints and hill sprints and things like that. Or, you know, really play rugby if, um, if I was able to. But uh, at the moment, I don't really have the time. So it's just sort of working that in. Uh, when I can, about, but it's, it's, it's infrequent at the moment. What about fasting? Do you fast every day? Not intentionally, but I'm sort of like you where I don't, I don't really eat, um, for 23 hours a day because I just okay, eat one fasting. meal a day. <laughs> well, but you know, but what, what are we defining as fasting? Are we defining as fasting as, as, uh, you know, the, the, the willful withholding of food or are we just, you know, because I just eat when I'm hungry. I'm not doing yeah. that. Whenever I'm hungry, I eat. Okay. And so I eat until I'm full and I'm eating, if you're eating high density nutrition, mm. then you don't need to eat as much or as often. Right. Yeah, so I, agree. I eat enough fatty meat to fill up. Then, then I'm good usually for 24 hours. If I'm sedentary, if I'm working out, I have to do that twice. So you know, I'll, I'll not eat during those other times, but I'll, I'll eat two meals basically, you know, and I'll typically double the amount of meat that I'm eating. I, I could eat you know, four, <laughs> uh, you know, four pounds or so like two kilos of beef, fatty mm. beef, uh, if I'm working out regularly. And then I, you know, I put on muscle quite, uh, quite quickly when I do that. Um, but you know, typically I'm just eating a kilo and I can get that down in one sitting, feel great. And then I don't need to do that for 24 hours. I feel fine. So it's not that I'm, I'm purposefully withholding. Mm. It's that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just eating when I'm hungry. And it just happens to be that I'm, I'm only hungry once a day. You know, eating a carnivore diet or any, any sort of ketogenic diet, that, you know, you're, you're always going to be in that so-called fasting metabolism, which mm. I, I don't think is a fasting metabolism. I agree with you. I think our, our natural state is a fasted state. Yeah. And so far as our biochemical state, it's called a fasting metabolism. I think that's our primary metabolic state. Normal that's the primary metabolic state. state of most animals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think that that's exactly what that is. And, uh, you know, 
animals, you know, herbivores and carnivores are all in that so-called ketogenic fasting state, starvation state, uh, because, you know, lions, they're not eating any carbs. So they're in that, that, that state where they have to mobilize fat and protein for energy and gluconeogenesis and, uh, you know, lipolysis and proteolysis to, to make the requisite nutrients that they need and the energy to, to derive ATP from. But so do cows, because cows actually, they're eating fiber, they're eating carbs, but no vertebrate animal can actually break down fiber. It's actually the gut bacteria in their rumen mm. that eat the fiber. Yeah. And they expel as a waste product, so really their feces, their waste, are short-chain fatty acids, which are 100% saturated. And then the, the bacteria will die off, and the cow will absorb the, uh, the, the bacteria as nutrients. So they'll get basically fat and protein. So they eat fiber, but what they absorb is fat mm. and protein, right? So mm. even a cow or a gorilla or a donkey, they're all in so-called ketogenic starvation state, right? So it's not a starvation yeah. state. You know, I can't eat four pounds of ribeye and, and be fasting. I'm obviously yes. not fasting. So that's, that's a misnomer. We're calling that something wrong. I think the only reason we call that a fasting state is because by the time we were able to look at biochemistry at a molecular level, everyone was eating carbohydrates. And they said, oh, when you eat, it looks like this. And when you don't eat, it looks like that. It's like, okay, when you eat anything at all except carbohydrates, it also looks like you're fasting. Mm. And so, uh, of course, you're not. You've just eaten, right? <laughs> so I just say, you know, uh, you know, a two kilo tomahawk ribeye, and I'm not hungry for another 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. I'm not fasting. I'm yeah. not, I'm, I am stuffed to the gills with food, right? So that's not a fasting metabolism. No, I agree. I, I actually don't like the word intermittent fasting. It's not intermittent and it's not really fasting. I like the mm -hmm. idea of time-restricted eating window. And that's simply eating in mm -hmm. a short chain, in short window. And you only need that when you're, mm -hmm. when like you, I'm eating a very fatty, high protein, rich diet, meaty diet. I genuinely don't want to eat. I'm quite happy to go 20 hours, 24 hours. And people say, oh, but how do you function? Don't you get tired? And how can you exercise? And I go quite, quite easily. You know, I'm, I've not eaten for already about 18, 19 hours. I'm going to go to do, um, you know, an, a jujitsu class now after this podcast. I'm not tired. And, you know, I can yes. sense I'm getting a little bit hungry, but I've got plenty of energy within me. The problem I have, Anthony, is I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, Buster. <laughs> I really want to disagree with something, but I kind of agree with everything you're saying. Everything makes sense. It's all the mm. kind of stuff that I naturally have come to the conclusion of. I think I'm not that far ahead as you, but um, give it a few years, I might end up being 100% carnivore. I think I'm. I'm I've seen. I can just see mm. where I'm going, and I'm holding on to a few things. Mm. I make my own sourdough bread once every fortnight. It's quite nice with lots of butter on it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm still holding on to a few little things, but I, I, I can see where I'm going and I don't give my kids green vegetables. Now someone is going to call the social services and say, Oh, take his kids away. He doesn't give his kids green vegetables. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I try and put yeah. eggs and sausages and meat in front of them every day. I think that's what they need to be made out of, not carbohydrates. Um, Definitely. And the problem is, is I, you know, you alluded to control authoritarianism or authoritarianism and all this kind of stuff. I, I think you've got a point there, Buster. I really do. Because mm. when you eat all this carbohydrate junk, it makes you dopey, makes you, 
you know, docile. It makes you stupid. It makes you fat. It makes you lazy. Doesn't make you critically think. Perfect compliant population. It makes you dependent. Makes you sick. So, and the state loves you to be dependent on them. So, you know, yeah, I think, mm. you know, we need to, we need to get, we need less sheep on this planet and more lions. And, um, yeah, the authorities don't want that, obviously. They don't want a population of lions, but that's what you need for freedom and liberty. So uh, it's kind of weird. It all kind of links mm. in together, you know, actually looking after the environment. You don't want monoculture, vegan, mass-produced garbage. You want a biodiverse you know, landscape. You want animals rooming animals, animals putting organic matter into the soil. You don't want, you yeah. know, factory farming of animals. Um, we talked about what do they eat? Absolutely. You know, I don't think I give a, you know, it's, it's not really scientific, but I always say to people, you don't want to be eating diabetic, sick, fat animals. You want to be eating animals <laughs> in their healthy state that eat their natural food. You know, most cattle are fed soya, you know, soya. I mean, what are you eating then? You're eating a fat diabetic cow. I mean, that's not good for you. Or whether it's factory fish farming of salmon. You know, if you look at the meat, it's very pale. It's horrible. It's not healthy animal. So what we eat is important, but what the animal ate is also very important. And I don't believe in this, oh, there's not enough land and there's not enough animals for us to do this properly. No, I think mm. we can actually. We can do it ethically. Actually, you know, I'm so passionate yeah. about this. Um, if you go on my website, you'll see my first ever podcast was with a regenerative beef farmer. Um, and his produce is amazing. And it's only a couple of miles away from where I live. And I go directly to the farm. I see the cows and it's not even grass fed, it's pasture fed. So um, these are beautiful, mm. healthy animals. And the steak I get from there, I've, I'm a bit of a foodie. I've been to lots of restaurants, three star Michelin restaurants in San Sebastian and America and all over the world. And I can tell you right now, the steak I get from my local farmer, my beef regenerative farmer, and I cook up on my own grill is like the best steak I've ever had in my life. Like, it's no restaurant has ever yes. come close to that. Um, so let's talk about the way you prepare your food. Okay, you talked about mince and steak. Just out there, like, do you mix it up a bit? Do you grill it? Do you do it over a fire? Do you put it on a, a griddle pan? Do you, do you add any seasoning? I mean, what, what, what do you do? Yeah, well, I, no, the only seasoning I would ever use would, would be salt. I, I don't, you know, my, you know, I think it's, it's as important what not to eat as what to eat. So my, my hard rule is, you know, no plants or fungus, no sugar, any sweeteners, nothing artificial. And that goes for sauces, seasonings and drinks as well. And so, you know, you sort of look at that and like, okay, well, well you know, you know, pepper. Okay. That's a plant, you know, well, cumin. Okay. That's a plant. Uh, coffee, that's a plant, you know, mm. well, honey, that doesn't come from plants. It's bees, it's sugar, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that, that's how I, I do that. I came to this, um, really, you know, seeing the negatives, like seeing just how toxic plants were, how horrible, you know, sugar and cars were and things like that. I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't want any of that. But really it was just plants. I'm, I'm not going to eat plants. And the, you know, the sugar and, uh, and carbs came with that and it just defaulted into meat. But so, so for me, I just eat meat. So, you know, the only spices that I would, I would ever have would be if, you know, if it's at a restaurant and, you know, I, and they put it on, uh, anyway, you know, even though I'd ask them not to, or, you know, maybe like a piece of salami or something like that, or, or some of uh, something of that nature, you know, where it's not like a whole meat where it's some sort of, you know, process sort of meat or whatever. Um, I don't get overly anal about those sorts of things. Uh, but I do try to avoid them because I definitely feel much better without them. So when I'm cooking, it's just whole meats. So whole cuts of beef and, um, well, a wet age. So wet aging is when you get 
the whole cryovact, you know, ribeye loin or or New York strip loin, and you leave it in the in the wrapper, and you just put that in the refrigerator, and you leave it for a month, basically. And so I buy these things in bulk, so I'll have sort of three of those going at a time, and so I'll, I'll cut one up into steaks, and the other two just sit in the fridge for a couple mm. of weeks, and the next one comes out, and the other one's in the fridge for another couple of weeks, and then that comes out. So you can wet age for. You know, most restaurants will do it about 30 days. You see like a steak is 30 day wet age, 30 day dry age. I leave it usually around 30 days. I've gone as long as six weeks, um, but I think that's probably on the border. Can't do that. So with pork, don't know why, but it just just doesn't work. Mm. And, um, you know, so just really just, just beef or lamb, you know, the red meat. And Mm. so I'll, I'll wet age it and then I'll cut it up into steaks, pretty thick steaks, like three inch thick steaks. Mm. And I used to lightly salt that. And put those on drying racks. But now I don't don't even salt them. I don't use any salt. I just I just like the, the natural flavor of the meat. And uh, but I'll take those, cut them, put them on drying racks so they're not touching. It's very important that they don't touch. They need air circulating around all sides. Or if there's a point of contact with moisture, then that can you can get sort of bacteria or breakdown. And so you let them just sort of dry out for a few days. And that concentrates the myoglobin, you know, wicks out a lot of the water, concentrates the flavor, makes it brown a lot better as well. So you get amazing, amazing quality steaks just just at home every day. Mm. I most often <clears throat> will just use a, a cast iron pan and I'll usually put about a centimeter of animal fat, like usually beef tallow, you know, grass fed mm. beef tallow or you know, drippings or even uh, ghee. Like grass-fed ghee, mm. and I'll get that up to a decently high temperature, so it's just starting to smoke, and then sort of grill each side, and that gets very crunchy, crispy, really nice brown texture. You sort of spoon some of the hot fat over it when you turn it over, and that helps the browning and crispy. It's almost like just crunchy, crispy, mm. wonderful things. Almost like you deep fried a steak, you know, without the breading. Tastes amazing. And so that's what I normally do. I do have, I do have, you know, like a grill. And so if I have like a big tomahawk or something like that, I'll go out and do it uh, on the grill. And I also have, um, uh, you know, one of those super high heat, um, you know, infrared burners. Um, and, uh, and that's sort of like 1500 degrees Fahrenheit that just scorches you know, sort of each side. Mm. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's sort of for fun. I mean, that's purely a toy, obviously. Like, obviously like I can cook, well, you're I can out cook in meat awes. any other way as well, but that's just cool for fun. You're out in all You should be barbecuing every day. Yeah, well, it is, it does get cold here. I was actually very surprised about that. I didn't know they had winters and I was, I was really caught unprepared. Like this was, this was the warmest clothing that I had when I first moved to Australia. <laughs> and, um, as I was out, like I was, I was playing rugby the first year I was here and, uh, and I just, I just had like just short sleeve, uh, workout gear. I had no, you know, track pants or anything like that. So it was just, you know, rugby shorts and, uh, and a, and a t-shirt an exercise top, basically mm. Jersey or whatever. And oh my God, I was freezing. I just thought I almost died. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just not, I was not prepared for that. And I just, I had to like desperately go out and just like buy sweatshirts and things like that. And so well, that I'm, one sort of caught me unawares, but I'm, yeah. I'm hardcore barbecue. Yeah. I, I do it in the snow, buddy. <laughs> I think I just nice. love, yeah. I love, and, and not gas burner. Like, you know, I've got Kamado Joe and like put wood chips in there. Sometimes nice. I'm doing slow yeah. lamb roast. Um, but you know, I, I just oh, find nice. over the flames, over the hot coals, like mm. 
it's just amazing. Much better. And that charred, you know, yeah. exterior. And then I like it medium rare. I don't know how you like it. Um, medium rare to rare. Definitely <laughs> medium rare, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But mostly what I do now is just blue steaks. I, I sort of sear the outsides, get it all nice and crispy. The inside's, mm. you know, still cold generally, you know, because, especially when, it, when they're that thick, you know. Yeah. So the inside's basically raw. And yeah. and the outside is just all crispy and nice and crunchy, and yeah, I, I love the the Komodo grills. Um, we had one up uh, when I was in Seattle. It's at my parents' house now, and uh, you know, so we we would use that. You know, make briskets in that, or you know, other sorts of, and it just tastes amazing. Just amazing yeah. lamb roasts, things like that, lamb shoulders, lamb yeah. legs, and uh, yeah, those those would come out amazingly well. Uh, mostly what I use here is for grilling would be like gas grills. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I do find that for steaks that fit the, just the pan is great because I like having that excess fat, you're not losing all that fat into the fire and, you know, starting a, a grease fire. You're, you're still having it there. You're able to spoon it back over and you're able to sort of pour it back on when you're done or put a you know, piece of butter on it afterwards and melt that into it. It tastes yeah, amazing. And so yeah, I, I find that. that yeah, I think that apart from like the big tomahawks and things like that, those, those big things that you have to do on the grill, I think my favorite way of doing it is on is on the cast iron with with a lot of fat to cook in. I think they come out really really nice that way, well, especially I'll, when you I'll, age them. I'll try it that way. I've got I, the the farmer does the dry aging and with Himalayan salt, and um, it's great. So what I'll do is I'll nice. I'll try your method. I get beef tallow as well. I've got cartons of beef tallow. So I mm. use olive oil, beef tallow, and ghee. Nice. Um, so I'll try it your way. See how it goes. Um, I, yeah. I need to go for my jiu-jitsu class now. I could keep talking to you, by the way. I've really enjoyed yeah. chatting to you. And um, yeah, yeah so, um, you've disappointed me. You're not quite as quack as, you know, what they, they say people yeah. like you and me are. <laughs> Conspiratorial, controversial. Yeah. I, I, I know. I hate to say it, mate. You weren't very controversial. Well, it, <laughs> oh, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, this is only controversial in the last 40 years. Before this, everyone damn well knew that meat and fat were really important to get. And uh, that's why they used to call it rich food. The rich people could afford it. And that was very rich food. It was, it was something to mm. aspire to and look up to it and try to get if you could. And uh, now we're saying that, uh, you know, that's like a pejorative saying it's mm. rich food. But um, that's very recent. You know, that's the fad. You know, we've been eating meat for millions of years. That's the norm. We yeah. already know that that's safe. We already know that that's good. Eating plants that's new. That's something that they have yet to prove is, is a benefit. And I think that, you know, turning into the Wally era of humanity from, you know, seven foot tall apex buffalo hunters, uh, you know, and who were extremely lean and strong and healthy and <clears throat> never got the diseases of the West, you know, which we now we just call getting older yeah. and I'll call human diseases because now pets are getting them too, because we're feeding them the same garbage that we're, we're feeding ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that we're in that, state now that that wally state obviously you know their idea their fad diet of eating a plant-based diet processed food diet is clearly a mistake and we need to get back to what we were eating you know even if you're having some plants or this that and the other like we were in the 1800s it's still better you know than what we're doing now and and everyone knew that eating meat was was the gold standard and you know even even people like um dr jh salisbury for whom the salisbury steak was named he found that people, just long before processed foods and sugar and seed oils, he found that people that were just eating more grains and plants were getting diseases other people simply weren't. And they were getting 
you know, hit with tuberculosis more often, just like we saw in the fossil record after the agriculture, uh, agricultural revolution. And, and he found that if you, you could cure these things like rheumatoid arthritis, like Crohn's, mm. like gout, mm. and, and actually help people survive TB by putting them on a pure red meat and water diet. He did a 30 year research study into the optimal nutrition for humans, wrote a book on it called the relation of alimentation and disease. So the relationship wow. of what we eat and the diseases that we get. And that's, and that's exactly what I'm trying to get across to people is that the food that we're eating mm. is causing the diseases that we're getting because they're not diseases per se. They are toxicities and malnutrition, toxic 100%. buildup of a species inappropriate diet and a lack of species specific nutrition. Until we get back to our biological roots, we're going to keep seeing uh, the disasters that we're seeing. Do you know who you remind me of? You remind me of Thomas Seafried. I interviewed him and he's very much oh, into yeah. Thomas Seafried, you know, talks about diet and evolutionary no, biology and yeah and cancer and he was saying mm. how if you look at all the animals in the zoo they don't get cancers animals in the wild they're not getting cancers because nope. they're eating species you know specific diet and he and he said to the zookeepers you know yep. but do, do you feed the chimpanzees pizzas and donuts but they eat that kind of stuff and, and the zookeeper was like are you joking they would they would wolf that down it's pure sugar they'd be, they'd be addicted to it yeah. and he goes uh, so why don't you give them that stuff mm. he goes because that's animal cruelty so <laughs> So giving yeah. giving them that well, that's, junk that's food. That's why they have that signs at the zoo. Yeah, yeah. So it's animal cruelty well, to why, give it to the animals. Have, so isn't it animal cruelty yeah. to feed us yeah. this junk food? Oh no, no, it's heart healthy. Didn't you know? It's low fat, therefore it's good for you, right? But that's why they have signs at the zoo. They say don't feed the animals. You know, eating outside of their their design. They have to eat a specific diet. And if they don't eat that diet, they get very, very sick. So don't feed the animals the thing that you're eating right now. Sounds like a great idea to, yeah. to keep eating that, right? So, you know, that's what we should think of. We should have a sign on our refrigerator saying, don't feed the humans. You know, <laughs> this, this will make them very sick. You need to feed, you know, you need to, humans need to eat a very specific diet and, and oh, we're eating just all sorts of crap. But the thing you know, is, first of all, to... processed foods that didn't exist even 50 years ago, some of it didn't even exist last year. Yeah. And, you know, and then, then a whole bunch of plants that, that we, that didn't even exist either. We, we've produced broccoli and corn. Those, those are not natural plants and all the fruit that we're eating now are, are way more uh, full of sugar. And so a lot of these things are, 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 you know, bread and, you know, to produce broccoli and corn and things like that, but they, they weren't the natural state. And, and they certainly weren't around 50,000 years ago, hundred thousand years ago, 2 million years ago when we were evolving. And so obviously this is not something that we're adapted to. Obviously Dude, they weren't even around 150 years ago. And yeah. Like rapeseed oil. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't around. You know, it wasn't around 150 years around. ago. You know, canola oil was in the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. So all this garbage, yeah. you know, that so, we're putting in yeah. our, in our food and yeah. our bodies, you know, we're not meant to be eating that. Hundred percent, I agree with you. Um, no. This is the problem. Exactly. I'm agreeing so with everything you're saying. We should be eating specific things. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be controversial. And the thing is, like, you know, it's we we live in an inverted, upside down world. You know, you know, the people that I see who have vegan mm. diets don't look healthy. They're they've got a lot of mental health issues. A lot of By there's large, a lot yeah. there's a lot more ex vegans than vegans. You know, what I don't see is that many carnivores who stop oh, being yeah. carnivores, you know? No, not really. And, you know, and when they, and when they, 
you know, there's some people that, that try carnivore and, you know, just exclusively eating meat and, you know, maybe they're not getting the, the same results. They're, they're sort of disappointed. They're not losing as much weight or something like that. And some people will say like, oh, I wish it worked for me because I felt so much better, had so much better energy, slept so much better, got off my medications, reversed my autoimmune issues. But, you know, I, I need to lose 50 pounds and I wasn't losing weight fast enough. So ugh, it's a shame that it didn't work for me. And to me, it was like, it sounded like it was working amazingly well. And, um, you know, but obviously they, they were very focused on, on that one metric and they weren't seeing the results in that. And so they got very, um, you know, discouraged from that. But, you know, you, you talk to them, okay, what exactly were you eating? They were not eating as much as they should have. They were not eating as much fat as they should have. They weren't drinking as much water. They were still eating artificial sweeteners, monk fruit, sugar, all that. Oh, but that's natural. Mm. Well, A, it's a plant and B, it's a sweetener and C, it's just poison. <laughs> it's really mm. not good for you. And your body tries to expel it. You know, it's a, it's a laxative. Your body's reacting. It's going, nope, get that out, get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. And everything can go with it. And so, you know, they, they tend to not be doing things necessarily the way, the way I would do it. Um, and when I, you know, I see people that are struggling, I try to help them through that and, and try to sort of troubleshoot what's going on. I've, I've yet to see someone who hasn't been able to, to sort of, uh, you know, succeed in that. And, um, but when people sort of quit the carnivore diet, they really just reintroduce plants. I've never even heard of someone going from carnivore to vegan and like, Oh, that mm. changed everything. No, it's the other <laughs> way around. Yeah. You know, I get dozens of messages a day, you know, emails yeah. and, and social media uh, messages a day from vegans and vegetarians saying that, Hey, I was vegan for, you know, all these years, vegetarian for all these years. And mm. I, you know, I, and I was basically, I felt better at first because I was getting right away from processed foods. And I was more health conscious. Um, but you know, I got really sick and I got really bad. And eventually I said, okay, I need to start eating meat again. And they did They said I switched, you know, to carnivore and like within a few months, all my health issues are gone. I've never felt this good in my entire life. And mm. I get those every day, you know, <clears throat> vegetarians, 84% of people that try, you know, plant-based diet quit. And, and the majority of them put down as a reason for quitting health issues. They get health issues. They have a buildup of these plant toxins and they get a buildup of these, of these, uh, uh, you know, nutritional deficiencies. Even when they supplement, they still have difficulty maintaining, you know, the different vitamins, minerals, and fatty acids that they need because you really can't get them without eating meat. And, um, and so people get very, very, very sick. And even if, even if you're getting just the perfect supplementary, uh, you know, compliment, right? Mm. You're still going to get a buildup of these defense chemicals, these oxalates, these phytates, tannins, saponins, um, you know, solanines, uh, you know, furanicumarins, like all these different sorts of things that are, that the WHO talks about how toxic they are, you know, mm. cyan cyanogenic glycosides, 2,500 different plants have cyanide. Cyanide is, is poisonous to every form of life, you know, and you have 2,500 plants that make this when you chew them. You crush them. They release two chemicals that bind and make hydrogen uh, cyanide. How do we not think that that's a defense mechanism? That's yeah. clearly a defense. When the animal starts chewing it, it releases this yeah. and, and releases uh, you know, cyanide and sulforaphane and, and broccoli. They say, oh, this is this wonder cure. This is so much, so wonderful. That's the same thing. It is so toxic to the plant and other forms of life that it doesn't hold it in its in its in its completed form. It has to you know release different chemicals to combine to make sulforaphane when it's being crushed and macerated, mm. right? So of course that's not. Um, mm. Hey, you ate me. You got the prize. You you caught the leprechaun. Good. Job. No, this is this is the plant trying to defend itself. It doesn't. It's not there for you. It's there for itself. 
and it wants to survive. And if you're eating it, it's less likely to survive and it will kill you if it has to. And in fact, most plants on earth are inedible and will kill you if you eat them in even a very small amount. And that's something we just not, we're just not seeing. We are not respecting the plant kingdom and the fungus kingdom. Uh, we are just not respecting them for what they are. And uh, that is going to cost you. Can I ask you something? Um, I've got a few questions. Oh God, this is a problem. I've got too many goddamn questions. Um, do you drink... <laughs> Do you drink alcohol and also um, do you take any supplements? And then once you've answered that, I've got one I don't take last any question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, I don't take any supplements. I don't think you need to take any supplements. If you're, if you need to take supplements and by definition, your diet is deficient. Now, you know, we're not eating, you know, wild caught woolly mammoths anymore or regeneratively raised, uh, you know, grass fed and finished cows, which, you know, talking to different ranchers, they're getting four to five times the amount of micronutrients in them. Sometimes a folate in a regeneratively raised uh, uh, chicken egg can have 25 times the amount of folate that a, a normal chicken egg would have. So there is a difference there. But, but, but the vast majority of people will get perfectly adequate nutrition, micronutrients, macronutrients from, you know, grain finished meat or even soy and corn fed pork. Right. Mm. So, you know, I, I've checked my, my bloods. They're all in optimal ranges for all my different micronutrients and hormones and things like that. And so, um, and that's just eating predominantly grain finished. Now, some people with like the MTH, MTHFR gene, they can't really process folate as well. So they need to uh, probably have a little bit more. So have a bit of liver a couple times a week that usually sorts that out. Um, uh, but you don't need, you don't need supplements, right? You just need to eat the right amount how, of meat. How do you cook your and, liver? Uh, a bit of liver? How do you cook your liver? I personally don't really have liver very often. Okay. Um, so I, I, I'm just not one of those people that, that need to do that. Um, sometimes I'll have liver just to, you know, just sort of change something up. But I think I've had, I think I've had liver. Well, actually last night I had, I, I got some chicken livers and that I was like the chicken fourth livers. time in 10 years I've had liver. I, I like chicken yeah. livers. <laughs> um, I cook them. I cook them very, uh, again, medium rare to rare. Raw liver tastes so much better than cooked liver. It's just crazy how different yeah, it no, is. It becomes quite um, rubbery. Again, sometimes I'll, I'll dry it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The texture's not great. Flavor's not yeah. great. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I'll actually even dry it out. I cut it in like thin strips of, of liver and, and again, put them on the drying racks and, you know, before I use a bit of salt. After about four days, they turn into like gummy bears. It's like, it's, mm. like, it's amazing. It's just like all chewy and gummy. And, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's one thing I always liked was that tactile sensation of, of gummy bears. And so it was just like a meat flavored gummy bear. I'm like, this is perfect. This is all I've ever wanted. And um, so that was a couple of times I've eaten liver was like that. But, um, you know, last night I just sort of just lightly cooked them in tallow. Uh, and okay. how much time have you got? And yeah, they were great. How much time have you got to talk? Sorry? How much time have you still got to I've talk? Got time. I'm going to forgo my jujitsu class. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to forgo my jujitsu class. <laughs> I, I, I just, it's too much tension. And, and you know what? I'll, I'll go, I'll do it on Monday. It's fine. I, I just want to ask you a few more things. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. um, I'm enjoying this conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it. So um, there's a lot of people out there, you know, who talk about plant-based diets. I mean, there's a guy called Lane Norton on Instagram and Ben, plant-based Ben, and they talk about studies and how great plants are and how many nutrients mm -hmm. you get from it. And then you've got traditional mm -hmm. orthodox medicine saying how red meat causes heart disease and stroke. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? But only for the last 40 years. 
what I say? Well, you know, the thing is, is that you can, hey, you can get a study that says anything, and the majority of studies, especially in nutritional sciences, are are bought and paid for by the industry, by the by the food. Uh, and, and drug companies, right? So yep. uh, Kellogg's puts out a ton of these things. Um, Sanitarium Food puts out a ton of these things. Seventh-day Adventists put a ton of these things. The Seventh-day Adventists write the textbooks for nutritionists. They are the ones who peer review the studies in nutrition. The Loma mm-hmm. Linda Medical Center, peer reviewed by Loma Linda Medical Center. Like, oh, yeah, it's okay. So I, I wonder what your bias is. Um, there's Seventh-day Adventist uh, Medical Center and, and medical school. When I was applying for medical schools in 2008, uh, I looked at that and I was just, I was living in California at the time. And so uh, I took a look at Loma Linda. I'm like, oh, what's this place? I haven't really heard of that before. And it just said there that you cannot apply here uh, to be a student unless you are in the Seventh-day Adventist church in good standing. You have to have a letter from your deacon. And I was like, all right, well, that's that's that school then. And so they founded the the um, the specialty of lifestyle medicine. Right? So that's something that's gaining more popularity around. It's sort of this idea of, you know, eat right you know, exercise and you should be pretty healthy. Totally mm. agree with that. But the, what they're telling you to eat <clears throat> is a plant-based vegan diet, eat less meat, eat more, you know, uh, grains and vegetables and fruits and things like that. And again, this was founded by the Seventh-day Adventist church in, in 2003. So you have to look at the source. You have to see who's writing the study mm. and, you know, and, and that's, and that's um, uh, probably the most important thing. And a lot of these things, they don't actually disclose their biases, like the WHO, they didn't disclose that they were vegans and vegetarians and Seventh-day Adventists. So, you know, Walter Willett at uh, Harvard, you know, one of the top nutritional researchers in the country, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, vegan. Like, I, I wonder what kind of research he's going to pump out there, right? Mm. So um, that's what you have to look at. Uh, you have to understand that, that things like Coca-Cola, just Coca-Cola, not Pepsi and Nestle and, and all the others like Kellogg's, Mm. That just Coca-Cola spends 11 times more money on nutritional research than the NIH. Wow. So, and that's just Coca-Cola. The rest of them are doing similar amounts. So, the vast majority of studies are coming from the people that are inherently biased, either because they're Mm. selling you something or they have a religious agenda. Right. You know, if there's a study that came out on is Jesus great or not from the Catholic Church, I I don't doubt what they're going to conclude. Right. Um, You know, and that's that's the same thing for a study on whether fructose is good or seed oils are great from from Coca-Cola. Like, so, you know, I, I don't really worry about that sort of thing. There's always studies that say anything. But, you know, a study, A, you look at who's doing it, how it's run, you know, is it good quality, were there any biases, any conflicts yeah. of interest, all that sort of stuff. But then, you know, any study, if it's well designed, is is just trying to describe reality. Right? Mm. So you can have a study that says that when you throw rocks, they fall up. Okay, and it can come from Harvard and whoever. But I can go outside and throw a rock and be like, no, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> Sorry. And, um, you know, and, and so who cares? You know, who cares what, what that study says if it doesn't meet with reality, right? Mate, in the I'm 1800s, <laughs> we were eating far more. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the 1800s, we were eating far more meat then than we were now. There was no heart disease. The first autopsy that, you know, person who died of a myocardial infarction and, you know, proven on autopsy was in like 1910, thereabouts in America. And, um, you know, may have been other ones elsewhere, but the first one in America was around 1910. And they, no one believed him. 
that he actually saw what he saw and said, hey, look, there's this blockage here. I think the heart died here. And I think that's what happened. This guy got a blockage in these vessels. They're like, never heard of that. That's not a thing. You know, Galen didn't talk about it, you know, like 2000 years of, 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 uh, you know, autopsies and, and, uh, dissections and things like that. No one's ever seen that before. You know, you're full of it. It, it wasn't until about a decade later that people started going like, Hmm, okay, maybe that guy wasn't lying because more started showing up and more started mm. showing up mm. a decade after that, uh, heart disease is the number one killer in America. Right. So it came on like that. Wow. In the 1800s, <clears throat> we ate more meat than we do now. And there's actually, it, it actually started declining throughout the 1800s. In the beginning of the 1800s, we're eating more meat than we, than we do now. And that sort of slowly started to come down. And around 1920, 1930 was the trough. And that's actually when heart disease became the number one killer. Right. Mm. And so it started becoming, getting worse and worse and worse as it was troughed. Right. So we're eating the less, the, as the, the least amount of meat that Americans have eaten it in 200 years. And that's when heart disease becomes the number one killer in America. And then we started eating more meat and, you know, heart disease, you know, increased and things like that as well. But the entire century of the 1800s, every century before that, we just don't have this. You know, William Osler, the great, uh, you know, medical, uh, you know, uh, professor, you know, first professor of medicine at Harvard. Mm. Yeah. Wrote tons of books, uh, textbooks, and things like that. I have my great grandfather's textbook of, of William Osler from, you know, he was a doctor. He, he graduated in the early 1890s and he had Osler's book. And, um, and so Osler said that in his entire career, he had only seen two cases of, of angina. And, and you, and you wow. don't even know if they were, you know, from, you know, from blockages in the coronary arteries, right? Yeah. It was just that presentation of symptoms. Yeah. No heart attacks in his entire career. Wow. Right? And it wasn't until, you know, the 1910s and 20s that this is starts, yeah. you start actually seeing this um, at all, let alone in any prevalence, right? And we were eating meat the whole time. So how can meat cause this? How can, that's a, it's a new disease, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so how can an ancient diet cause a new disease? That doesn't make any sense. And so you have to sort of look at this, like, yes, there are good things in plants. You know, they're living, you know, they're living or organisms. They're, of course, they're going to have things in them that are yeah. good for other living organisms. That's why <clears throat> living organisms, or living organisms eat other living organisms. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's, cheap of, uh, you know, available nutrients. Right. But this is why plants defend themselves with poisons, with toxins, with thorns, with bark, with wood, and also by making those nutrients, uh, bound up in chemical formulations that we don't have enzymes to break down. So it's yeah. bioavailability. So yes, there's a lot of, uh, calcium and iron in spinach, but eating that, does that raise your calcium and iron? No. There's studies in the 1950s showing that you gave people uh, uh, spinach with uh, a lot of calcium in it, their calcium levels went down. Right? Wow. Why is that? Yeah. Well, because the calcium is bound up in ways that is not bioavailable to us, so it's not available to us. Also, spinach, one half cup of spinach has over 600 milligrams of oxalates. You can handle about 150 milligrams of oxalates a day. So half a cup of spinach is, is way out, right? So it's, oh, a little bit. And the amounts that we eat, already way too much, right? Half mm. a cup of spinach is four times the level of toxicity in, in humans, right? Wow. And so oxalates bind to different minerals such as calcium and actually strip it out of your blood. 
And so we have to like pull calcium out of our bones, causing osteopenia, osteoporosis, to try to keep our serum calcium up so we don't, you know, have a have a cardiac arrest, right? So people are be eating things that have different minerals and nutrients in it, and yet their numbers are going down, right? So yes, we can say that there are good things. Of course there are good things, but there are bad things as well. You get the bad with the good, okay? So there are nutrients that we have to have like iron and copper, zinc, magnesium Mm. um, that we need in dirt, right? That doesn't mean that we're dirtivores and that dirt is food and dirt is good for us. It just means that we're awesome and that, you know, life is amazing and can actually extract you know, uh, you know, nutrients and vitamins and minerals that we need to have from very unlikely sources. And, uh, and that's, that's sort of the miracle of life that, you know, life finds a way and you can try to try to adapt, but the plants are doing it too. The plants are on the other side of that, that arms race. Right. You know? And so, um, you know, I learned that in seventh grade that plants and animals are in an evolutionary arms race, plants becoming more and more poisonous. So less and less animals could eat them so they can survive and thrive. And they are surviving and thriving. And then animals becoming more and more adapted to specific poisons and specific plants so they can eat that plant and survive and thrive. This is why koala eats eucalyptus. Nothing else eats eucalyptus. Really? Mm, mm. Yeah, maybe some bugs. But koalas don't eat anything else. Mm. Right. Because while eucalyptus provides what they need and they can <clears throat> detoxify, you know, what what the eucalyptus is trying to put out there, they don't have the defenses to other plants. And so they would die. They would not get the nutrients that they need and they would die if they ate other other plants. And so they have to but eat the, just that plant. And so right, if they run even, out of eucalyptus, they die out. Right? Even the reason why koalas are so dopey and sleepy is because they've got that toxin running through them from the eucalyptus. <laughs> Yeah, probably. It does a, yeah, and the brains are underdeveloped too. They don't have a cortex, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, but that's but that's their niche, you know. Yeah. They've they've been able to survive like that, and you know they're just sitting up in a tree all day. They don't really have you know many so, natural predators, so they just they sort of get away with it. I you know, but I, you have you have to go to first principles. You have to go to our biological design. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I really don't care what a study says. You know, humans are apex predators. Apex Man. predators are definitionally carnivores. Plants have defense chemicals. That's a fact. And, you know, if you don't study botany, if you don't study biology, <clears throat> like, I'm sorry for you, but that remains a fact. And you go, well, this study said, blah, blah, couldn't care less. I could not care less because May, humans are apex um, predators. Plants have toxins. And some are better or worse. And a lot of those, those studies, you always yeah. have to ask compared to what? So, like, oh, when people eat more fruits and vegetables, things get better. It compares, compared to carnivores? No. You've never done that study. Yeah. So that's not a fair comparison. It's compared to a processed food diet, which is plants. 70% of the American diet, the British diet, the Australian diet is plant-based. It's just ultra-processed plants for about 40% of that. For adults, about 75% wow. for kids, which is scary, right? Yeah. And so those are all <clears throat> processed plants, right? So processed foods are processed plants, processed carbs, processed sugars, all that sort of stuff, right? So you're eating, you know, whole fruits and vegetables. What you're doing is you're getting away from that. Oh, when you eat more fiber, things get better. Okay. Well, who doesn't eat fiber? Well, I, for one, but you're not comparing it to me because no one does what I do, right? Except the Maasai, right? And you can't compare it to the Maasai because the Maasai are healthy as hell, right? Yeah, they are. And so, yeah, exactly. And so they don't eat any fiber, 
right? But they're comparing it to people that eat processed food because processed food doesn't have fiber in it either because you can't freeze it properly. It gets all mealy and gross. And so you're eating processed food. You're eating a highly processed food diet, ultra processed food diet. Now you go to a more whole food diet. You're eating less of the processed food, more of the whole food, and you improve. Gosh, I, I'm so shocked by that. This is, this is an association, not causation, right? So yeah. this is a confounding factor. The fiber isn't better. It's the lack of the processed crap that's better. 100%. I was going to say to you, so I love history. I love history. I love looking at black and white photos. I love looking at the past. And I'm fascinated by history. I actually think we have forgotten our history. I think we've forgotten where we came from. And I think so much of it is hidden from us. And um, I, w- I was at this museum. It was a transport museum. And, and I was looking at all these black and white pictures from the 1800s. Everyone is slim. Everyone is dressed really smart in suits. They looked fantastic. And then I also saw a social media post. It might have been yours. God knows what. But it was a menu from New York in the late 1800s. And it was like bacon, sausages, eggs, steak, different types of steak. And um, there, was, <laughs> there was nothing non-carnivore on it. And our, our meatloaf as mm-hmm. well. And it was all carnivore. And that was like a normal menu. And there wasn't, you know, all this processed mm-hmm. junk that we see. And, and, and there is now this really massive push to eat garbage. And it's so funny, you know, Anthony, I, I ask patients about my, their diet, even though I'm an orthopedic surgeon and foot and ankle surgeon. I look at their sleep and their stress and their diet. I practice very functional medicine, holistic. And I say, what's your diet like? And I can tell you right now, 95% of people will say straight out of the bat, you know, oh, I've got a really healthy diet, really, really good diet. And I go, okay, so like, mm. t- tell me about your first meal. What, I mean, what do you normally eat? Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, my, my breakfast, I have special K. And, and it's like, yeah. great. <laughs> they think special <laughs> K, a bowl of sugar, yeah. processed garbage is, is a healthy diet. And that's just how they start off. And that just, it goes downhill from there. So I think people have forgotten even what yeah. it means to eat healthily. Because the vast majority tell me they, they're eating a healthy diet. And it's garbage, yeah. processed garbage. Because they're told it is. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you talked about the mass virus. Yeah. So I, I did my elective. I, I don't know if you did electives as a medical student, but I spent three months out in Tanzania. I got to meet the Maasai. Nice. I went hunting with them. Awesome. Yeah. I felt Sick. like a little hobbit. I felt like a hobbit. I'm five foot seven. They're, they're all tall. They're lean. They've got amazing teeth. I mean, those white teeth that those, that it's, it's reality. They are super Must have strong. Good yeah, <laughs> they don't. They don't go to the dentist. They got great teeth and um, muscles. No, there's no. They're shredded, and they talk about how they go hunting lions. So this apex yeah. predator thing, you are one hundred percent right. I mean, these guys hunt lions. You know, as a rite of passage, the the young man will kill a lion, mm. and um, they are a picture of health. And they are they are strictly carnivore. You know. Um, yeah. So yeah. 100%, you know, and then you well, compare you know, it to like us. <laughs> mm. Well, you can, you can compare it to us, you know, and, you, and that's the thing too, you know, there, there are a lot of comparisons to make, you know, we have these, these things that say, oh, eating more plants is better. Okay, compare those people and their outcomes to the Maasai or the Inuit who are eating a natural diet because a lot of these, you know, frauds that will tell you, oh, the Inuits aren't all that, that healthy and things like that. They're looking at studies that look at the Inuit as a population, not as eating a carnivore diet, but like people that are in the cities eating the same processed garbage. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very disingenuous uh, when they do that. Uh, but there was a study in the 1990s <clears throat> that actually showed even as a whole, 
that the Inuit had uh, much lower rates of heart disease than uh, the rest of uh, the Canadians, right? And they found that and they and they were saying that like this is quite surprising because they have a lot of risk factors. They eat blubber and a whole bunch of fat and meat and things like that. Some of them are fully carnivorous, and uh, and they on average start smoking when they're eight, right? So like wow. uh, heavy smokers from from a very young age. Obviously, that's a very high risk, but they have very low rates as compared to Canadians. Now, this is a mixed population, so the people in cities and eating processed foods and drinking alcohol, obviously smoking a lot, and so that's going to skew things. Uh, but mm. still very low, very low. I mean, if they didn't have any of this stuff, it would probably be no heart disease. But even people smoked for hundreds of years and they didn't have the heart disease that we have uh, in, in the 20th century and beyond. And so what they, what they looked at, they said, okay, maybe they have a genetic propensity uh, or protection uh, against heart disease so that they're protected from all that. And that's what people will say. Well, they're specially adapted to eat all that fat. Right, so they looked at it. So they looked at all these different genetic markers that uh, would, you know, predispose you to getting heart disease or protect you from getting heart disease. They had all the bad ones, right? They had all the ones that that would line them up uh, to get heart disease, and none of the ones that were protective, mm. right? And so they they concluded they're like, okay, we don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> okay, so either there's more things, you know, something else is going on here that we just don't understand, or these these genetic markers are really not, you know, uh, all they're cracked up to be as 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 a sign of um, your risk of heart disease, mm. because they were they were quite surprised by that. So they have a genetic predisposition to get heart disease, I think, quite clearly because. They haven't been exposed to agriculture as as the Europeans have, and so it's actually us who have the genetic changes and the genetic um, defenses against uh, you know people that have had exposure to agriculture for thousands of years as opposed to hundreds of years or less in some cases. That that we're going to have more of a defense. We're going to have more of those genetic protections against heart disease, which is why our heart disease rates. Um, are are lower when eating a Western diet because when Native mm. Americans, Native Australians eat a Western diet, they are four times as likely to develop heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and all the other other huh. sorts of uh, chronic diseases. Right? Wow! And so you know that that's again a clear demonstration of you know eating eating the wrong thing. Um, but a really good example is the Maasai. There was you know no one's ever done a study looking at modern day carnivores. Mm. And uh, and plant eaters and or or you know processed food garbage eaters or whatever, uh, but there actually was one done. that was published in JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. It was a British study done, published in 1931, and it looked at the Maasai and their neighbors, the Akikuyu, who for whatever reason um, had stopped the sort of the hunter gatherer lifestyle, went more gatherer and sort of growing, you know, tubers and plants and leaves and things like that. They became mostly plant-based, but this is 1931, right? So this is, there's no, you know, industrial farming or, you know, chemicals and pesticides and all that sort of stuff that, that most people blame. Oh, well, it's the <clears throat> pesticides. No, it's the plant itself. The plant is making toxins. Mm. And they, so they looked at these two groups. It, it was a really great study. Because it, there were two very similar populations in that they were genetically similar because they intermarried. And so they intermarried, they were genetically very similar, and they had one was a whole food meat-based diet, one was a whole food plant-based diet, largely plant-based diet, right? Perfect example. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Which mm. one is going to be better, right? It's a vegan's dream. There's no chemicals, no nothing. Just living out on a commune and just, you know, eating hickory, you know, like whatever the hell you want to eat. And... Um, and they found there was a massive disparity in health. 
and development. So the Maasai were on average five inches taller. They're going exactly back to uh, post-agriculture, five inches taller, right? Mm. They uh, had much better teeth, fully developed wide jaws, straight, nice white teeth, right? Not mm. like they had uh, the Akuyu had underdeveloped jaws, a bunch of cavities and things like that. Mm. The, the Maasai were 50% stronger, mm. right? And they were 23 pounds heavier on average of lean body mass. There was no fat on these guys. If anyone's seen a picture of these guys, they are just skinny as a rake, you yeah. know? And yeah. uh, 23 pounds heavier. And they didn't have any diabetes or anything. The Akikuyu did. They're like, oh my God, diabetes in 1931? Yeah, yeah, we knew about diabetes in 1931. Yes, we could check for it. And, um, and so the Akikuyu had all these sorts of health issues. They were getting, you know, uh, you know, ulcers, tropical diseases, you know, mm. uh, lung, you know, infections and all these sorts of other massive issues. They also checked their bloods. They were nutrient deficient in all sorts of things, you know, like iron, they were anemic and, uh, and so many other things. And so they, they sort of looked at this because they had, you know, populations that, you know, worked for them or was actually in, in sort of the prison population there, um, or the jail population. And they, and they said, okay, well, we'll, We'll, we'll test your bloods. We'll do this, and we'll we'll give you supplements. And they found that that uh, just supplementing the lost nutrients actually didn't gain the health outcomes that that the Maasai had in mm. comparison to the Akikuyu. Right? Mm. It wasn't until they reintroduced meat and started reducing the amount of plants that they were eating that they actually improved their health. So there's more in meat that they needed. They were just than just you could supplement, mm. and the elimination of plant toxins were a benefit. Right. So eating more meat, reducing the plants, what were objective benefits in a genetically similar population, starkly different. And then, in fact, you could mimic the health outcomes, not the, the developmental outcomes. You're not going to grow another five inches as an adult. It's too late. That ship has sailed. But your health outcomes can then go uh, back to where they should be if you eat meat from a plant-based, whole largely plant-based whole food diet. Um, so, you know, that sort of study holds a lot more water for me than something done with rats from Coca-Cola. I, I don't know, compared to people that, you know, and, and comparing, you know, uh, um, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, epidemiological studies, just looking at comparing populations that, that we're not talking about. No one's talking about, you know, a vegetarian diet or plant-based diet being better than a plant-based, you know, processed food diet. No one cares, right? Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that a processed food diet is bad. We're not talking about that. We're talking about meat. We're talking about whole food meat. And that's mm. not what those studies compare. They never compare that. And there's blue zone studies and things like that, which, first of all, that's owned by the Seventh-day Adventists as well. The Seventh-day Adventists own the rights to calling yourself a blue zone. So if you're in an area and say, hey, we want to call ourselves a blue, blue zone, we qualify, you have to pay royalties to the Seventh-day Adventist church, right? And they may not, you know, maybe they'll, they'll deny you because you eat too much meat or something like that. I don't, know Sardinia, blue zone, I don't know what blue zone is, thing is. Oh, the blue zones. Oh, so that, oh gosh, that's, that's, a, that's a horrible um, well, misrepresentation of the facts, really. But the blue zone, there was something called the blue zone study. It's not a study, it's just an editorial basically, that uh, someone <clears throat> wrote and just saying that, oh, hey, look at these areas that are called blue zones, meaning they have a lot of, you know, centigenarians, right? And so they have people that, are, that have lived over 100 and they're just living normal lives, right? So mm. that's great. And um, so that's a blue zone. It's a very healthy area, right? And they concluded that, or they 
said in their editorial that this was because they ate a largely plant-based diet. Right. Mm. So that's it. We need plant-based diets because the blue zones, more people live longer if they just eat plants. Well, no, they don't. First of all, they're eating whole foods, right? They're not eating processed garbage. They're not eating special K, right? They're eating things that they grow or things that they raise. Yeah. Um, but apart from Loma Linda, which is was one of the blue zones with these Seventh-day Adventists, and they have the Adventist trials and things like that. They say, oh, plant-based, plant-based. Well, first of all, not all of the Adventists are plant-based. That's just the religious doctrine that comes down. They, they defined vegetarian. I would define a vegetarian as someone who largely eats plants, right? Who eats vegetables or uh, every day. And a vegan, someone who doesn't eat anything. That's what that's you know what we refer to these things as. Well, in that study, a vegetarian was someone who ate meat uh, you know, once a week. Mm. And a vegan was someone who ate it once a month. Okay, so that's not a vegan. That's not a vegetarian. You're still eating meat, right? Yeah. Um, and so that that's that's misleading. But also in the blue zones, they look at Loma Linda. Well, Loma Linda, you know, people that are religious, they uh, the, uh, for this religion, they're not allowed to smoke, not allowed to drink, not allowed <clears throat> to drink coffee, nicotine, caffeine, all these sorts of things. They're out. Right. Also, you're not supposed to eat uh, as much meat, but most of them do anyway. You know, it's just I've spoken to many people in the Seventh-day Adventist church. They say there's like five percent that are just like wacko, hardcore, like don't eat any plants or don't eat any meat. But the vast majority mm. of people do eat meat. And so, you know, but they're doing all these other things that are obviously very healthy. And they also have a very strong sense of community and family, which is also very important that you see. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, show up again and again in these blue zones as well. Um, one thing that they, you know, they don't consider a blue zone uh, are the Mormons, Mormon population in America who have the exact same, um, you know, uh, uh, excess life expectancy, longer life expectancy versus, you know, the rest of the population as the Seventh-day Adventists. And they have no such, uh, you know, dietary restrictions. You know, but they do have the restrictions on smoking, drinking, drugs, out, you, know, um, you know, caffeine, nicotine, and all that other sort of stuff. And they're strong family and community oriented uh, sort of uh, teachings. So mm. that's a major one. All the other blue zones, they're saying, oh, these are all plant based, plant based, plant based. Actually, they're all meat based. Mm. The, you know, in Okinawa, yes, they eat um, this. Uh, whatever this yam or whatever that they eat. They're, oh, that's it. They just eat this yam. That's the only thing they eat. No, of course they don't. They'd die if that was the only thing they'd eat. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get enough nutrients from that. We're saying yam is just the perfect nutrient. You don't have to eat anything else except this yam, and that's it. Uh, no, of course not. So they're eating, they actually eat a lot of pork. They eat hardly any red meat. Again, you know, red meat. You, know, you have to look for, listen for qualifiers. You have to listen for weasel words where people are trying to weasel out of telling you what uh, they don't want you to know. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, they, they hardly eat any red meat. Okay. Why red meat? What about other meats? Yeah, they actually eat a lot of pork. You know, and so, um, you know, so that, that's one thing. So it's not that they're just 100% plant-based and they eat more meat than uh, the average Japanese person does. So they actually eat more meat than the population they're being compared to. Right. Wow. So you can't say that's plant-based. Sardinia. Um, I just had a friend of mine, um, Dr. Bill Schindler, who's a um, you know, paleoanthropologist, archaeologist, professor of, of the same at uh, University of Maryland, since retired. And yeah. he went over to the epicenter of the first identified blue zone in Sardinia. And you know, he wanted to go there and, and see how these guys lived. They had some very, uh, very interesting um, Historical recipes that you know go back to you know Pliny the Elder with like this acorn bread that that Pliny the Elder and, and if people know, don't know who Pliny the Elder is that was sort of around 
you know, the first century AD. Uh, <clears throat> he, he was a historian and uh, like chronicled the destruction of Pompeii with the, the, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in mm. Greece. And so... Uh, Italy, um, Italy. And I think that was in 79 AD. Sorry? It's in Italy. Mount Vesuvius in, What's is that, in sorry? Italy. Mount Vesuvius is in Italy. Italy. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And so, um, so he, he described that, you know, back in the first century AD, right? So there's this bread that goes all the way back, you know, 2000 years. So he's like, there's only three, three women that know how to make this anymore. They're all in this little town. Mm. And so he's like, okay, I got to chronicle it. And they're like all over a hundred, you know? So he's just like, okay, I need to go, uh, find this. And, um, and he wanted to see how they lived as well. Mm. And he said that not only are they not plant-based, they are nearly carnivores, and they're they're almost entirely whole animal based. They mm. eat the whole animal. They'll take a sheep, they'll put it on a spit, they'll split it up, put it on a spit. They'll take the organs and they'll put them on like a shish kebab, you know, like mm. heart, liver, spleen, kidney, all that sort of stuff, all the way up. And uh, and then they'll just sort of roast these things and they'll eat that. They'll do that once a week. During the week, they all have spreads of prosciutto and, and uh, soprasada and all these different sorts of meats, you know, all meats, mm. cured meats and things like that. They just ate meat all the time, meat and dairy, meat and dairy, meat and cheese, basically. They had, they had some plants, but not that much, some olives, right? But they were all things that they grew. There's no processed anything. Mm. And uh, the majority of it was meat. But how they talk about it is they say, hey, we're going to eat meat today. Hey, we're going to have or tomorrow. We're going to have meat tomorrow. We're going to have meat tomorrow. Get excited. We're going to have meat tomorrow. And Bill looked at them and said, have we not been eating meat every single day? <laughs> like we've all, all pretty much only eaten meat. And they said, no, what we mean by meat is, is cooking the whole animal on a spit. That's what we mean by that. Like, yeah, of course, we uh. just eat meat. That's, that's what we always eat. And this is like a special, like a Sunday roast sort of thing. And so the, um, you know, the, the people doing this fraudulent Right up on the on the blue zone said, "Oh, they they they're mostly plant based. They only eat meat once a week. Look at that. Well, you know you're you're you know what you're doing. <laughs> they say we're only we're eating meat once a week because that's what they call it. You know damn well they eat it every single day because you can see it, Man. right? And so that that's where that came from. So it's so misleading. And I'm um, not surprised. I mean, it's intentional. They're they're being intentionally misleading." Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. I mean, like, if anything, I kind of knew all this even before the pandemic. I saw them firsthand mm-hmm. as studies were being fudged by some of the centers I was working in. It was subtle, but it's mm-hmm. obvious, the bias. And, you know, I have always argued you can find a scientific paper to argue any position you like. You know, it's just... Yeah. And, and look, I need to be careful because... You know, I think there's a role for proper research and science and advancement mm. of our knowledge as a collective species, you know, to, to advance ourselves forward. <clears throat> um, but there's so much corruption in science. I mean, there's, I've forgotten the, the yeah. editors of some of the big papers, I've forgotten the names, but like, you know, New England of Journal, The Lancet, whatever. There's people who have come out who've said, you know, maybe 50% of the studies are, you know, fraudulent, can't be reproduced. You know, they're so mm. heavily biased. So it just goes to show you with scientific papers, you really need to take it with a pinch of salt. And like, you know, the recent, you know, I am science. The science says this, you know, it's safe and effective. Mm. I mean, we've all seen the fraud now with the latest rollout of, you know, these mRNA jabs and shots, these toxic things. You know, they, they try and sell us it as science and it's gone through rigorous studies and trials. And now I've got one guest after another going through the data and saying it's all sham. It's all freaking baloney they've just made up cooked up garbage 
but they sold it to us as science. Yeah. So while what you're telling me is, you know, kind of shocking, I'm not really surprised. I mean, people have always lied and <laughs> and fudged and manipulated. Yeah. And I think, you know, you just have to go yeah. back to what, what makes sense as an innate sense that you have and the gut instinct. Um, and look, I need to ask you another question. A lot of people say to me, oh, this time-restricted eating that you do, I mean, you know, it's so, isn't it antisocial? Isn't it very difficult? You know, you eat very carnivore and, and you're very restrictive in what you can eat and you don't eat, like, you know, trying to avoid canola oil and rapeseed oil and all this kind of stuff. You know, isn't it antisocial? You need to go out for meals and get, get, get togethers with your friends. Like, how do you, how do you cope with that? that? And, you know, I've got my answer, but what, what do you say to that? You know, you get invited out to these functions mm-hmm. and dinners. They might not have steak. <laughs> they might have all, you know, this mm-hmm. other stuff out there. So how do you deal with that kind of element, the antisocial aspect of it? Well, you know, I'm still very social. I, you know, I still will go out and go to events and things like that. And I'll eat what I'm able to eat. And I won't eat the things that I don't want to eat. Just as everyone has always done ever at every meal, unless they're being forced to by their parents to eat something. Right. So, you know, if I go to a, a whatever and they have different courses and sometimes you, you like the course and sometimes you don't you have no, no, not really going to do that. So that's not a that's not a new thing. Um, you know, I think just people just just overthink things too much and don't realize that that everyone's discerning in a certain way. And so, you know, I still go out. I'll still hang out. I'll still uh, go to restaurants. If, if there's nothing I can eat, I just don't eat. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I, I don't have to eat three meals a day and three snacks. Right. I don't have to eat six times a day, 10 times a day. It, it's very freeing. And yes, you know, a lot of people do surround their their social calendar with meals because we have to eat six times a day. So, okay, well, let's plan a breakfast and a brunch and a lunch and a dinner and a liner and a, you know, snack and a coffee and a donut and a bagel and a, what, you know, I mean, when, when all you're doing is eating constantly, then you have to surround yourself with a social, you have to turn that into a social endeavor, right? Because you don't have time for anything else. You're just constantly eating. So, okay, hey, just constantly eat with me. Like a bunch of cows just grazing together. You know, that's their social time. Whereas, you know, wolves and lions, they play together and they pounce and do this, that, and the other, you know? So, that, you know, it's not that eating time is their social time. They eat and then they have social time. And that's mm. what I do. You know, I just do things with people, right? So I'll go to the beach, I'll play rugby, I'll go to the gym, I'll, you know, watch a movie or, or, or interact like a person, you know? So I don't have to um, surround myself with, with mealtime. I, I, it's so freeing. It's so nice to not be stuck in that mold where I have to go to restaurants. I have to, uh, just eat constantly. I, I figured I've freed up about six hours of my day mm. where I'm not thinking about preparing or eating food. I've, my time is my own. I, I'm so much more productive. I have so much more free time, mm. um, because of that. And I, I obviously fill that up, but, you know, speaking with, with people, you know, during COVID, you know, the, the lockdowns and things like that, you know, they were saying they're like, I had no idea just how wrapped up my life was with restaurants, not even bars and restaurants, just restaurants. I had no mm. idea that all my, my social, my social interactions were all around restaurants that, you know, like me, I haven't cooked a meal for myself in six years. You know, now it's like, I'm doing this all the time. You know, all of their life was at least one or two meals a day was at a restaurant and mm. now they didn't have restaurants. They're like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. But that's because we've been so wrapped up. We, you know, people used to cook. 
They used to eat at home and then they used to do things with people. It was a very special occasion when you go on a date and go to dinner or something mm. like that. And so the food industry has gotten us dependent on them. This happened with processed food uh, making, you know, TV dinners and things like that, uh, ready-made dinners, ready-made meals, because they could mass produce these things and they could sell it to you cheaper, already cooked. You just put it in the microwave or heat it up in the oven oh, and yeah. it save you three hours of preparing a meal. And it was cheaper. The final product was cheaper mm. than you could go and buy the fresh ingredients for and make it yourself. So it was like yeah. no brainer. I'm just going to yeah. do this. It saves me time, save me money. You know, <clears throat> thank you, Jifco, you know? And so they go out and they get this and do this. And then you had entire generations of people that have never seen their mothers cook. Yeah, they never learned sadly. to cook, never learned how to shop, never learned how to how to do this. And then you had a generation raise another generation. Now they're 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 two parts removed from having actually cooked a damn meal. And like you know, I, I've I've spoken to people, you know, about doing carnival. And I I don't know how I can do carnival. I, I don't know how to shop. I, I I just don't know how to. It's like you go to the store, you buy a steak. Like that's it. But mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to. I literally, I've had that conversation with people. Um, you know, I, I knew a friend of mine who, you know, they were in their twenties. They had a kid, and literally three meals a day was Uber Eats. Three oh, meals man. a day every day. I actually, I just sort of like just guesstimated how you know what she was spending. Like after taxes, she was spending uh, probably about seventy five percent of her take home pay on Uber Eats. Right. That's, and she made that, actually really good money, but she was just, I'm broke. I'm broke. I, I don't have money. I can't do this. I'm like, how, how do you not have money? That's a tragedy. You know? That's a tragedy. Yeah. That's well, really it's crazy. Sad. And then, you know, that's the main thing, you know, people don't know how to cook anymore. So they don't. And so they go out of restaurants and go to this. And so they, they turn that into their social experience. People used to have people over for dinner. Mm. You know, that used to be a, a social experience, right? Now you have to go to a restaurant. Why don't you just have people over for dinner again, you know, or just go and do things, go play basketball, go to the gym, you know, go to the beach, you, you go to a bar, you don't even have to drink. You just, you know, you can be out and be social. So I have no problem with that. I mean, it, in, in a way it sort of curtails things because like, I'm not necessarily going for coffee, going for lunch, going for, but I'll still go to lunch with my colleagues at work. I'll just eat what I eat. They eat what they eat, you know? And, uh, most of the time they actually start eating what I eat because they, they see the results and they know why it's good for them. But, you know, it's, um, you know, but I, I, I don't, I think, I I'm think not it goes into that. Yeah. It also shows that, you know, you're a lion and you're able to hold your own. You don't, you don't, succumb to peer pressure and i think people need to learn not mm. to succumb to peer pressure just you know just be comfortable in your own skin and do what you think is right all right listen last question my friend yeah. um i'm not going to ask you about links okay. to social media and this and that what i would like you to do is email me that later and i'll put it up in the podcast so that's where people can sure. find you yeah so please do send me that later on um what i would love to know yeah, is we'll something that i ask yeah. all my guests is imagine you've mm -hmm. lived a long and wonderful life you're about 150 and um you've got your children your grandchildren all around you and you're on the deathbed quietly slowly going to you know the next place whatever that might be what words of wisdom would you want to impart on them well, like what would you what advice sage advice would you give them whether it's health or otherwise well i mean first of all you're not going to make it to 150 unless you're in very good nick and so, you know, if you're not eating the right things, you're not, you're not ever going to get there. And, you know, I think, I think by 150, you know, my kids, grandkids and their kids and their kids 
probably going to be pretty tired of me telling them to, you know, just eat meat, <laughs> stop eating all the other crap because I would have raised them as that way and, 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 and forced it down, you know, if, if I met any resistance, but, uh, I, I don't expect that I would. So, you know, I think that, you know, at that point, uh, that, that's a good question. I mean, if now I tell people, you know, you know, just eat the way you're supposed to eat, eat biologically, eat more meat and don't eat all the other things and, and you'll have a much more happy life and you can have that be the background of, of your life as opposed to the foreground, the thing that people are just worried about all the time, just eating constantly. What am I going to do? What am I going to eat? What am I going to prepare? I got a meal prep. It, it's so much more, so much nicer. Just be able to eat and then have 23 hours of the day to, left to yourself. Right. Um, so I think my kids would probably, probably know that uh, at that point, I'm assuming that they would. So, you know, at, 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 at 150 on my deathbed, um, I don't know. Um, you know, invest early, compound interest. It's this, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. I think that's what uh, Einstein said was that um, compound interest was the eighth wonder of the world. And you're, if you're not making it, then you're paying it. And uh, so get on that, get on that early, I guess. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much um, for agreeing to do this podcast. You were, you got back to me so quickly and um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I hope yeah, everyone so else has I. enjoyed it too. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Listen, thank you so much. Everyone listening, um, thank you so much. And um, you'll find all the links to Anthony's social media and whatever other links he's going to send me on the website, www.malik.com, D-O-C-M-A-L-I-K.com. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Anthony and start relaxing getting all the shit out so yeah we ended yeah. the conversation and we just started talking again for like half an hour and I would have yeah. loved to have recorded you piece of shit all the yeah. stuff we just said because it's really good stuff but you said something really important about how food manufacturers and processors what their agenda is and it's not about nutrition what is it because you just said it so beautifully I want to capture it go for it yeah well the idea of food science um, is we think of it you know, and, and it's sort of uh, with roads colored glasses of, of, well, this is about uh, making the most nutritious, best food that's available with all the different nutrients, all these sorts of things. But that's actually not what they're about. What food science is about is about figuring out how to reduce costs and improve yeah. shelf life and stability. Yeah. That is what mm. their, their main objectives are in the science of food and, 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 and using chemical sort of engineering and processes to get from the farm, you know, to the box or something like that and try to make it as, as stable as possible so it can last through the next, you know, Holocaust or whatever, you know, Twinkies are going to outlive all of us. And, <laughs> you know, and so these things are going to, these going to be stable forever. That's what they worry about. They don't, they don't want spoilage and things like that. And they want to reduce costs. So th those are the main tenets of, of food science. Oh, yeah. And palatability. That's a major one as well, of course. You know, you want to eat it. You want to eat more of it and actually make it addictive. That's actually part of it as well. They want to design things that you just want to keep eating, keep eating, keep eating so that you keep eating it and you keep buying, yeah. buying the product. So that is what the science is going into. That's what these, these chemical engineers and food scientists and things like that are doing. Now, there's other ones that do other things as well. But as far as the industry is concerned, that's, that's basically what these, these guys' job are, is to make these things highly palatable so that we eat a lot of it, shelf-stable, long, long shelf life, and cheap.
you know, yeah. and, and get these materials as cheap as possible put together and is, and is uh, in a way you know that's, that's as cheap to manufacture I, and as stable as possible so that you eat a hell of a lot of it. I would say, you know, everybody should do an experiment. Go get, go get a, a burger from some fast food joint, get some food from the supermarket, put it out in their kitchen counter and see how quickly it rots. <laughs> and if it doesn't rot in a few, you know, very quickly, just think about it. Not even the mm. bacteria and the fungi want to eat that thing. So just think about it. They don't even <laughs> want to eat that thing. It's so plastic and artificial, yeah. they don't want to touch it. So why would you want to eat it? If the food's yeah. not going, going off, something's seriously wrong. And you're right, you know, they're making tomatoes that are really big and round and red, and they taste of nothing but water. You know, it's, there's no mm. taste, there's no flavor. And, you know, I think it's really important getting your meat from a good place because... You know, I get, I used to get meat from a supermarket and now if I, you know, I think something like a year ago, I got some mints from there because I couldn't get to my farm and I, I couldn't eat it. It was, it was just disgusting. And so getting proper meat, wholesome meat, locally um, farmed, sourced, ethically raised, regenerative farming, much better for you than some supermarket garbage. I actually think people should stay away from supermarkets. It's my opinion. Mm. Anyway, are we done now? It'd be great. Yeah. Are you going to come out with some other yeah. stuff that I want to record? Or are we? <laughs> should we just bring Probably. you back in six uh, months' yeah. time? <laughs> well, it's like the, it's like the, you know the the thing I'm going to say on my deathbed at 150. I, I don't know what's going to come into my head uh, at that point. So you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. well, listen, okay, we're definitely going to have this conversation again in in six months or so. Um, yeah. Everybody, this is the last time. I'm going to stop now. Dude, listen, I'm going to go now. You're, you're epic. I'm, I'm, look, I'm 47. I've got bladder problems at this age. I need to go and wee now. <laughs> um, it's, it's been really nice talking to you. You're a good, good guy. Mm-hmm.